Hello, my friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to the Astrology of November 2021. I am joined by my good friend, Hawk Grubb. Uh, how are you doing today, Hawk? Pretty well. Um, excited to be here. Stoked to get to have this chat with you. Yeah, we're uh, going on a, a journey here today with uh, the Astrology of November, which is uh, Pro prolific, I would say. <laughs> There's a lot of Journey things going on. Through Scorpio. Right. We're going to go into the tunnels of Scorpio and see if we can come out on the other uh, Sagittarian side here. Um, I'm looking at the chat box here, and we've got a lot of people that are joining us from various corners of the world. So if you are with us today, let us know in this chat box. Um, I'm seeing Gabe is here from, from New Jersey. Hello, my friend Gabe. Tarya is here hey, from Gabe. Finland. Remco stopping in from the Netherlands. Azur is here from France. Um, Abraham, hello from Montreal. Jody's checking in from Florida. Cheryl from Washington. Um, Othelia is here. Thank you all for stopping by. Um, it's very exciting to see all of you here. It's, it's, a, it's a, always fun to be joined with people. So if you have questions for me or Hawk throughout the day, um, put them in the chat box and we'll try to get to them as much as we can. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, so hopefully um, we'll be able to get through that. So if I don't get to every single thing in the chat, it's mostly because we'll be here for four hours. <laughs> I do. Um, but we're probably going to be hanging out with you for at least a couple hours. So um, yeah, get some snacks and we'll, we'll roll on through it. So Hawk, also get some snacks. Yeah, right. We may, we may too. I've got something here so I don't pass out from low blood sugar. Um, so Hawk, tell me a little bit more about your journey. You're a fellow um, Nightlight Astrology alumni and uh, you've been doing some interesting things with astrology and divination. So let us let our audience know a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, so I came to astrology through Western occultism. Like I started a magical practice when I was like maybe 20 and just learned astrology out of necessity and then got like completely rabbit holed into it. Um, when I met Achuta Bhavadas, our shared teacher, yeah. um, totally went deep on traditional astrology. And now I'm kind of like unifying those two things uh, to the best of my ability. It's like kind of come back around to my magical practice now. So I've become like kind of like a magician or, or like an astrologer for magicians. Nice. And um, which is really, really fun. I love those. I love that about my existence right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do a lot of devotional work with deities. You'll probably hear me bring up that at least once in the course of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, and you work, you work with fixed stars too, right? A little bit, uh, not as deeply as I would like a, like a non-stellar deity, but I mess with, you know, like Ross Alhaig and Regulus and mm -hmm. that's, that's, those are my two. I believe when right we now. started today, Ross Algethi was on the Ascendant at about 16 Sagittarius where I'm at here in the Midwest. So that was, we have Venus on the Ascendant here in Michigan, which is the Hercules star. So like the, the kneeling one, right? Right. Um, so we'll get into some of that today as well. But any interesting um, talismanic type works that you've been uh, excited about or things coming up? Um, basically, all I'm doing right now is I'm like, I'm gradually launching my uh, um, like long-term client containers, which I think are going to look like a cool space to like talk about to move through having your own magical practice 
um, like while getting like one-on-one -on -one time with me, hopefully there's going to be some kind of like group component where you nice. can have some like nice lunar community on top of the like solar, we're going on a magical journey vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause the unity of those two things in my practice is like really emphasized. So you're pretty active on Twitter, right? So you, people, yes, I literally never stop talking. <laughs> um, so I, I'm at Hawkstrology, H-A-W-K-S-T-R-O-L-O-G-Y. And, and there's a link to be able to find Hawk's website as well. This is student of something. The what is stars. Student of the stars. Okay, yeah. cool. So student of the stars. You can also do bit, bit.ly, like, like bit.ly slash astrohawk. We'll get okay. you there too. Very cool. Very cool. So, so check out Hawk's offerings. Um, get, do you have a newsletter that people can sign up for? I do. I have a mailing list. Um, yeah, yeah totally. So I'm on Patreon. That's fun too. Oh, there you go. So you can support Hawk. You can get signed up for future offerings and future classes and, um, yeah, spread the love. So I also have something coming up for those of you as we get all of our, uh, shameless self plugs out of the way in the beginning here. Um, I have a Deccans, a Deccans of Scorpio webinar coming up on the 13th of November at 1 p.m., which is a Saturday, and we're going to do a real deep dive into Scorpio. Some of the things I'm going to talk about today, but we're going to go even more in depth into that at that time, and you can find a link to that in the description of this video, too. I'm offering an early bird special until the 1st of November, um, until Samhain, okay, the, the uh, Celtic cross holiday. Uh, for 20% off, you can use the code SCORPIO20. So make sure you take advantage of that and sign up for the newsletter if you want updates. I also have a mailing list, Spencer Michelle Astrology. All right. I think that's, for we've sure gotten all that, that out of the way. Yeah, it's fun. It'll be, it's that been a lot awesome. of fun. It's really been giving me a, a whole new perspective on, you know, not just the decans, but the signs themselves and a lot of the mythology associated with all of the the different sign placements and things of that nature. It's I've been leaning really heavily on Liz Green's work and Austin Kopic and T. Susan Chang and all these great, great authors. Uh, it's There's a lot of great resources out there and I hope to consolidate it and maybe distill it into something for people to be able to learn from, so. That sounds like a really fun download to get all at once. Yeah, okay. So I'm seeing we've got some Ross L. Haig and Ross L. Gethy fans in the chat here. Some Ross L. Haig <laughs> so, stands. So, so, very cool. Um, so, Hawk, we have a lot to get to here today. Any initial thoughts on the month, like big picture, you know, 30,000 foot viewpoints that, that we might be able to introduce the month with? Oh, gosh. Um, I have just been getting this big like gestational theme from all these planets moving slowly through Scorpio. Hmm. Um, it feels really like something is a brewing in the womb basically hmm. of the world. And I know that you and I talked about this sort of like uh, purification vibe at the end of it. Um, so it feels like almost something is like gonna break out over the course of the month. But first it has to like, go like super deep into this like chthonic realm writ um, where it reconstitutes itself and is broken down. Uh, so I think that that feels like the the picture of the journey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in doing some of my initial Scorpio research, I had to really get 
in touch with kind of the decomposition process and like the death process, yes. which was a little gnarly. I mean, I have a Taurus moon, so I'm in a Cancer sun, so I'm more of a summer baby <laughs> than a fall one. Um, so yes. it was, it's always a little shocking for me to go into those, oh. you know, thonic realms as you were speaking of. Um, but I think yeah, it, like you'd like it to be alive, ideally. <laughs> right, exactly. But but I think that I'm coming to terms with death more as I get older and stare it down in the face and try to, you know, go through these, you know, revolutions that we have to go through year after year and seeing it as part of that regenerative cycle. And I think with Scorpio, you know, it, it, there is really, you know, as I went in this deep dive of literally these really grotesque, like, uh, you know, fermentation processes of a body or of plants or things like that, you could really see that there was some some really beautiful synchronizations with the the Scorpio decans too. Um, you know, we see this journey from Scorpio one, where we, you know, Austin Kovic talks about talks about hunger and desire in that decan, uh, and we see this Five of Cups card, right, where we see a figure that is, um, you know, it's mourning. So yeah, it's it's a sad card. He's mourning the loss of form. And, you know, one of the things that we think about here is we're moving into Mars's domain and uh, some meditations I've had on Mars, Mars's role in Scorpio is instead of the Mars and Aries where we are severing and separating to be able to, to individuate from the collective and then eventually fuse into a body and then subsequently grow, the, the, yes. the Scorpionic Mars is different. It's, it's separating the body from the spirit to be able to release essence again back to collective or back to like prime materia i guess you'd say that that will feed future growth right does that make sense oh that's such an interesting distinction when you think about the like um the fire active element versus the water receptive because this is such a big thing i've been like meditating on recently is like what in our cultural mythos, right, there's not a lot of room for receptive Mars. I feel like the whole, our, all of our Martian archetypes have been compressed into Aries and mm. it's Aries and manifestations. So yeah. I really like that distinction that it's about like, that like the severing function that occurs in Scorpio is about release. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I picture, I'm picturing liquid like seeping into the ground, mm. right? Perfect. Uh, like to water it. It's really cool. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I was trying to connect that, like, I had to do some really gruesome, like, research the last few days where I, I came across this really, like, they, they did this study with, like, a, a pig or something, like a dead pig, and they showed various stages of decomposition. It was pretty, it was pretty rough. But one, one interesting thing, though, is that first decan, you know, Austin Coppock calls hunger. At the jawbone, right? right? And in the first stages of death, you see the uh, bacteria that is normally housed within the stomach or the intestines is now released into the rest of the body to start to consume the body, whereas a living being would contain it in that digestive system. So I thought that that was really fascinating to see that that's like, you could see that that, that could be kind of the hunger that Austin might be talking about if we bring yeah. it into a natural process. And then you move into the second decan where he talks about these circuits of exchange, right? The mutual distillation. Well, one funny thing scientifically is that these bacteria give off gases that attract flies. 
So there, there is this attraction where then you have the, the furthering of that decomposition process, right? There's this bonding that happens, this coming together that happens to accelerate the process of separating the body back to the earth. And then finally, you have that putrefication phase where all of the flesh and fluids have been consumed and you have like this husk that's left, like the the hair and the bones and things like that. And it's just a ghost in a shell. And it, it finally returns to that prime matter. And, you know, the third decan of Scorpio has this, you know, seven of cups type of thing. We move from five of cups to six of cups to seven of cups, where we're maybe we're nostalgic as well for the the past relationship or the past form that we have to revisit to be able to like, I don't know, distill the essence from it and then finally yeah. release. And, and Austin talks about temptation in that seven of cups card where uh, if we chase the old ghosts, we're going to, you know, find suffering. We have to, that's when we need to return it to the earth. Um, yeah. The way that the Thoth deck illustrates this is it's the card is called debauch. Mm -hmm. um and it's disgusting it's like seven cups it's like all this like putrefaction imagery um yeah. and it's like the flow of water is the motif that carries itself through the the cup suit in the thoth deck and mm -hmm. in the seven it's like just these cups holding old water and then mm -hmm. there's no there's no rain on the horizon it's just kind of like dark it's a totally still ocean so mm -hmm. it's that it's like no new life is like flowing through the system we're just like holding the old water yeah. Oh. And it's so poignant because I think that, uh, you know, one of the lessons that Austin talks a lot about is not chasing an old ghost or an old shell yes. of something. And and that's when we get into that debauchery that you were talking about is yeah, exactly right when we're chasing something that no longer has vitality left in it. Um, and if we kept hanging, think about this like as like hoarders, right? If you if you keep holding on to all this old stuff, you know, new long past its point of utility, right? New, new energy or new chi can can't flow through your space. And the necessity yeah. of of Mars says, you know, this is me getting in touch with the malefics and saying, Oh, there is maybe some benefit to this because they have a function, sure. right? Say, especially separate. with dignified Mars in this month, like it's like, we're gonna see him in his most royal manifestation, right? Mars and Scorpio, you know, Mars, pure Mars, Right. We think about some of these signs are I like to think of some of the signs essence as combination of domicile and exaltation, Lord, sometimes like like Aries, Mars is combined with the sun to be able to be a point of consciousness, selection, awareness. But this is pure Mars where it's just severing, separating, returning to the earth, getting like, you know, this cutting and slashing of, of body from spirit. Um, yeah. It's interesting. But it's so subtle too, because it's like water. So this is like, it's like that overt slashing and cutting feels so like, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Like what's the opposite of rarefied? It's not like brought to a point the same way that it is when it's Aries. Like Aries is like the spear, like flying through the air, but yeah. like cutting through water, right? Like that's a vibe. I'm, I think we're going to like, well, yeah. like probably explore like that. Little, I don't have like a nice bit for that because it's so like. Well, oh, I wanted to jump back to something you said yeah, in the ahead. first decan um, of Scorpio, which is the decan that, like, I suppose we'll approach first. I may as well come back mm -hmm. to it. Um, 
the the dissolution of boundaries that you describe is like the first process of of putrefaction right mm -hmm. when like when the previously housed little bacteria colony like decides to um transgress the boundaries right of its container i was thinking about that as like a diode with venus right because like um taurus right i always think of as the mycelium network like venus and taurus so that's like, and as like the network that runs nutrients through soil, right? So it's like the life bringing network. And then in Scorpio, it's like the, okay, now we're, it's kind of going the opposite direction. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's the exact same functionality, but um, in like a dissolution, in a dissolution capacity. It's perfect. That was like a really, I thought about like, as you were talking, I was like. <laughs> it's perfect. Right. And, and, and you can think of also just piggybacking off what you say, there's, this the the microbes in the soil are getting heated up at these both of these periods of time but they're they're heating for um i guess fructification in the taurus season like fertile yes. it's, a and, great, but, it's a great word for it right that's that's austin Kavik's favorite word so i can't claim like ownership of it i learned that from him <laughs> but but what but here it's it's fermentation so it's a similar thing but like you said to be able uh. to like move outward and and to fermentation to, is a great word for it because of the liquid medium entropy right um some people in the chat uh azur azur said pervasive as like a way for receptive mars to have like a difference and abraham says diffuse which i kind of like the i like diffused because it's like mm. a diffusion across barriers right yeah well we're, we're getting someone mentioning mushrooms too so like the like you were saying the mycelium networks you know it, it you know are agents of decomposition as well like being able to come together to to oh. break down the old matter um and, in, and we're going over this i think in depth in the beginning here because what i like to do is paint all of the uh big picture topics in decanic context solar decanic context so i i believe that the decans that we explore with the sun are just a, a a point of awareness that we have as a collective that maybe the spirit of this time you know what is fusing meaning into this time and then a lot of the other planets are you know the moon is bringing it into form as a body or taking it out of form moon has those dual kind of significations and the other planets have other roles in that but i I really do feel like the solar decanic journey is really is really important to to kind of give us a little bit of background with that. Um, and you're great at the specific thing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know we're going to start off with one day in Scorpio one, but then we're going to begin the month pretty much in Scorpio two. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get to that. Um, we will get to Sagittarius one as well. Um, and maybe we have some big picture thoughts about the transition from Scorpio to Sagittarius before we get into the the daily um, minutia of all this. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think that's where that, uh, like, I'm like imagining like, you know how like when, when some babies are born, there's like the cowl over their face. Like I'm kind of imagining that as like the kind of like that we're busting out of the cowl, like that's been like, you know, that's been or all of this processing has been done inside this container. Yeah. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think, uh, go ahead. Oh no, I just, I was gonna say something about Venus and Capricorn, but I wanna make sure that you talk about what you were about to talk about first. It's yeah, totally Re removing the veil, right? Removing exactly. the, the 
the shell, I would say, to reveal light, to reveal essence, to reveal new born passion, I think is another mm. thing we could think about that. Like you were talking about some of the, the stages of alchemy, right? Uh, and Scorpio, we can think of as like that negredo phase, right? Or the, you yeah. were talking about the putrefaction, the blackening. Um, you know, Jung talks about embracing the shadow energy around this. But, you know, T. Susan Chang was talking about this negredo for Scorpio as well. And she was talking about the body rots to, to reveal the inner light. And I think that... Yeah, the hollowing, right? Exactly. So once we get to that uh, Sagittarius stage, it's just there's, there's movement. Sagittarius 1 is all about that aid of, um, that aid of wants. Where it's like, all right, we've been freed of all these past, you know, I don't know, ghosts, these past forms that have outlived their efficacy and don't have vitality anymore. Now we're like, we're ready to find a new goal, we're ready to like infuse yeah. into a new belief, a new passion. Um, that decan especially is about enthusiasm. Um, there's a spirit associated with Sagittarius one called Loimos and Loimos was the daimon of plagues. So there's like this contagious oh. type of thing. So, it, but you could think about enthusiasm as the ultimate. Laughter is contagious. That's exactly. like a, a nice Jupiter contagion question. Right, right. So it's like kind of this spread of whatever it is that we've revealed through this fermentation process. Uh, and we're going to see some really interesting connections with the south node coming up around that period of time, too, at the end of the month. Um, we've got a, a Mercury Kazemi um, that's going to be happening at the end of the month. Um, a few other things, just like broad picture stuff. We've got two lunations, the new moon on the 4th uh, in Scorpio 2, the full moon lunar eclipse in, Scorp in suns in Scorpio 3, uh, the moon, sorry, the moon is in Taurus 3, Taurus. Right, right on Algol, right? Um, a few ingresses. The 5th, we have Venus moving into Capricorn, Mercury into Scorpio. 21st, the sun moves into Sagittarius. Uh, November 24th, Mercury moves into Sag as well. And then there's a couple things that I like to, and we'll get to these things individually, but uh, solar phases, right? On the 3rd, Mercury moves under the sun's beams again in what's called its morning set. And then on the 22nd, I think this is a really important one that we should spend some time on, uh, is Mars makes what's called its heliacal rise. It comes out of the beams of the sun and is visible again at 15 degrees Scorpio, which is a really powerful place for it. Yeah, it's um, that cross-quarter spot. For sure. And, and this is something that I think we're going to see some really important um, you know, communal things happening and personal things happening around that period of time because Mars is going to be so concentrated in its energy as it becomes visible. And think back to the Mars Kazemi that happened, you know, earlier in October, I think it was, uh, for significations that are coming to light. So we'll get to that. But we've got an animal uh, spirit. The, the swordfish uh, was the symbol for the month, which is perfect because it, it moves through water <laughs> like i didn't want to i didn't want to give it away when right? i was like what's an example of like cutting through water and i right. was like oh, we have one <laughs> it was so perfect like like I, I i always pull this this kind of animal to to be a, a guide and swordfish is like okay yeah you've literally got a sword mars cutting through water at great speeds uh so that was pretty yeah. interesting 
it felt really corrective to my perception too. Like when you pulled that, because uh, I, we had people in the chat saying diffusion as an example. And I really think about things that happen through water as diffuse, but that's because I'm an air land person. You know what I mean? But like things that exist in the context of water, it's not fucking diffusing for them at all. Like that's exactly right. the, like that's, that's their menstruum. It's their medium. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, and, um, and, you know, Mars also signifies pursuit, you know, it's, it's, it is like an arrow sometimes. And we may be pursuing through these scorpionic themes, you know, things that may or may not be good for us. Like, I think that that's something I've really had to come to terms with is I think the ultimate goal in Scorpio, just from like a psychological point of view is maybe potentially releasing either bad habits or old outdated forms. And sometimes we want those things really badly and we desire them, but they may not, you know, we may be pursuing something that's just a husk or a shell. Right. And, and that's there where certainly we're getting is to. a sloughing off of the carapace that I feel like Scorpio does magnificently. And especially yeah. people with Scorpio placements, I feel like have an eagle eye on the places where those exist. Like Aquarius yeah. has this thing too, but they're just like, Oop, that's an old kingdom thing. Like totally. that should probably go. Like, I feel like I know a lot of Scorpios who just like have that like embodied in them. And with the square to Saturn, I think that really like with, yeah. with that whole Scorpio stellium overcoming the square to Saturn, I feel like we're going to see some of that like fiery Scorpioness like pushing against mm. the Saturnine structures and being like, which ones of these can we like? Yeah, that's a great point, Hawk. It, it is, that's one of the biggest kind of aspectual relationships that we're going to be experiencing in November is when all this stuff starts ingressing into Scorpio, it's going to immediately make what you, what you were terming an overcoming square to the planets in, in Aquarius, especially Saturn. And we'll see that when we look at the chart, but um, let's, why don't we do and, this? And Jupiter too, to your point about it being right. like overcoming, like maybe like pleasures that have outstayed their welcome. Right. right. Yeah, it's and not I, just I about, see this like, old guard systems. Well, and I see this as a little bit of a foot on the gas, you know, foot on the brake type of thing too. Where I think there's yeah, going to be totally. some. I think we're going to get some frustration um, that's going to bubble over a little a bit um, because we want things, but but the greater, I guess, the that greater whole. <laughs> yeah, like I know for me, I'm pretty tired of like pandemic. <laughs> like I'm pretty it's hard, Sam. I'm really sick of it. And I, and I'm I've been very very uh cautious about how I've gone about my business and pretty much still living as a hermit throughout this whole thing. And Sam. I'm kind of getting like antsy. <laughs> like hard Sam. You know, but I'm I know getting, that I'm getting getting fatigued. A fatigue, yeah. Yeah, just like like uh, you know, exile fatigue <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. and even for like a 12th house son such as myself it's like okay like i need some variety or novelty every once in a while right so i'm like i have too many leo placements for this tbh i need this to be right Did you right. see gotta... uh, actually kira the astrology uh shared this image with me that was like the number of inoculations for the covid vaccine per sign and leo was right at the top and yeah, because they're like, let me get back to let me get back to business. Let me get back to the party. I need to be seen. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I don't do all this for nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. So I think that there may be some definite frustration with that because I think that I think most of the collective is like, hey, when are we going to return to some kind of 
sociability or, or be able to pursue some of the things that we've been really patient about. Many of us have been very, have delayed gratification for a long period of time that, that Saturn's that been asking us to gratification's a great Yeah. Term. I, I don't think we're quite over the hump yet, though. Is, is that, that's, to me, what this square is going to be saying, is that there's still that some so challenges. And it's, that's going to be rough, and we may have to come to terms with that. So that may be another big picture kind of thing to, to keep in totally. mind. Totally. Yeah, because the Scorpio galvanization, right, is going to be like pouring a little bit of gas on that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, Kira, Kira notes that Scorpio was, of course, at the bottom uh, of the list, <sighs> and that it was actually just for one county in uh, Utah. Oh, nice. Is this Kira of the, the astrology podcast here? Very cool. Yep. Welcome, Kira. Thank you for stopping by today. Um, yeah. It, are you seeing anything else in the chat here? Uh, so we've got Cheryl's talking about Mars and Scorpio cutting through water, through old dead stuff. Definitely. I liked I liked Jason's uh, thing about inoculation. I thought that was just dead on as like a receptive, as like, as like a, the type of penetration that yields a water thing right into the menstruum, right? Because it's like, I'm, I'm so picturing those like syringes that like inject mushroom right. spores into their menstruum. I'm going to say the word menstruum so many times. I'm so sorry. It's like right. Mars is like, it's just going to happen. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I loved that. I thought that was really cool. And then, and then that burst into, into Sagittarius after that process of inoculation and mm. the like mushroom eatery is going to be the, like, what was all that for? Right. 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 Yeah. Help us to find meaning again. Right. Ex like, yeah, exactly. Like what was all that for? Cause, cause I think that I, I don't, I th don't think we would be um, being responsible if we didn't talk about that. There is some pain and suffering with the death process. Right. And there, there probably is some grief that comes along with it. But, totally. but, but learning that that suffering and grief can have purpose and that the dawn can come after the dark night of the soul, I think is something that can help us go through that process willingly rather than resistantly. I think that's the key. Is I, I, my favorite phrase on this channel is, you can't avoid pain in your life, but you can choose to suffer or not by either accepting what is happening in your life or resisting it. And I think that this is something that, especially with Scorpio 3, is by resisting the necessity to let go, that's when you can create the debauch. That's when you can get, you know, sucked into like things like addiction, things like being uh, overwhelmed by the past and things like that. So um, going with the flow, letting things return to the earth, I think is really part of an important phase. And then that it, the light will come. It will come back, right? Yeah, I like I like Scorpio for its ability to stay with it. I think that like um, the the Scorpions that I know, like they don't turn away from like their suffering friend, for example, um, right. because it's like pleasant or difficult to look at. Because um, it's not just like being a, a a Martian doesn't just mean that like Mars things are happening to you, right? It means that you're also able to like pilot yourself inside Mars situations in a way that feels like you're walking in a space that's not as just like, oh my gosh, like well, this experience you were describing being a Taurus moon, like mm -hmm. having to deal with some like scorpionic topics. So I feel like they have this like amazing capacity. Just as I want to give the Scorpios, like it's just something that's like, that I think is really great about you guys. Um, while we talk about all, all of this, like you guys can like hold and witness and like just be such awesome containers 
um, for for people who are experiencing the naturally malefic side of life. And it's like, there's like a nurturance that happens there that maybe is not, is not Cancerian specifically. You know what I mean? Cause it's not about totally. holding and nourishing. It's about being like, I'm witnessing you. Like I witness what you're experiencing going through. Well, it's courageous, right? It's the, it's the, the courage of that warrior Mars being able to exactly, say that receptive Mars. Like right. I will witness this. I always right. use that word, the witness for Scorpio. And, and I think every sign, every archetype has a function within the circular round of time and, and of nature. And like you said, being able to witness and hold space for maybe some of the difficult, you know, kind of sewer tunnels that we have to go through in life sometimes is that is very valuable and that can be very cool. healing, right? That can be yeah, exactly. extraordinary. It's very healing. All right. Well, should we dive into the charts here? I think we got a big, big picture here. I don't know if ever, anyone has any questions out there, um, but I'm going to share my screen and we'll take a look at the chart and start going through kind of the, the daily experience here. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is that Venus does start out the month out of bounds um, and then Mercury will be moving out of bounds by the beginning of sep uh, December, excuse me. But that's sort of like an interesting place for Venus too, because Venus is sort of outside of the realm of the solar king. You know, it's a little bit of a pure yeah. experience of Venus, right? Yeah. You have any, you have any I, thoughts about how to bounce planets? I have, uh, well, yeah, they're like beholden to no one. That's like my key phrase, but that's, uh, I think you might be better suited to answer that question. And then once you have, I think that's definitely worth talking about. And I'd actually love to hear what you think and then after that i kind of want to jump in about venus's ingress to cap like, yeah. as that starts i think just mostly it's uh venus when it's out of bounds or any planet out of bounds is more a pure expression of its own essence and it doesn't have to follow Ooh. any rules that like right. the solar quote-unquote king would give it and we're just using like Hellenistic, like sort of terminology with that. Um, yes, I'm totally with this. So, and I think that that can be for better or for worse. Like here, here's two examples I have sure. for Venus out of bounds. A, a positive example would be someone like Bjork, who is just creating whatever she wants to create, is very uh, unique and is very um, idiosyncratic about their artwork, right? And That's a great example. Yeah, and it's just like she, she just has this like essence about her that's just continually pushing the boundaries, the limits. She doesn't give a rat's ass what people think, which I think is very cool. And then and has created some really interesting uh, forms of art through that. Now, maybe a more negative side of this is someone like Drake, who has Venus and Scorpio out of bounds, who is con continually grooming young young uh, actresses to eventually date them when they become of age. So he doesn't respect like the, the social boundaries that are accepted within, you know, Venusian types of relationships. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, it does make sense. Right. So it, there's two different expressions of this, of how like there might be a, you know, an interesting artist or like someone who is just kind of, I don't know. So like what, what you're saying is there's two ways basically to violate the collective contractual agreements that we're all under. Yes, yes. And some of them can be positive and some can be, you know, 
definitely frowned upon and negative and a little bit under underhanded in that regard. You could yeah, also like think something about- that we actually collectively agree that is wrong, not for yeah. an arbitrary reason, like right. artistic conventions, but for a really good reason. Right. Yeah. Like and 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 even if we move past like Drake's example, you could see like you know different mm, people coming together that wouldn't normally come together. So I guess from a practical perspective, <clears throat> I would say be careful about relationships that you you get into with Venus out of bounds. Because when Venus goes back into bounds, you may be like, "What was I thinking? This is not what I would normally do." Like you do. reapply the context, right? Because we are going to have. have a, for, I have actually. I have a Drake one actually that's yeah. less uh, distressing, but like uh, of him. But like he's constantly get. If you think about the collective's response to his artistic persona, he's just like constantly getting dunked on nonstop, like on Twitter, Instagram, like, like the collective is just like loves clowning on Drake. (laughs) So like, I'm thinking about the difference in the way that people respond to Bjork versus him and their like ways of going out of bounds. I don't know. I'm not sure where her, her Venus actually is by sign. Um, I didn't look up her chart as far as like that sign placement, but I wonder, I wonder if uh, Drake's Venus is retrograde as well. Cause one of the things that I've seen also, cause we have a Venus retrograde coming up at the end of the year is there's a, a repellent quality to Venus retrograde. You know, Venus is not, you know, using her normal powers of attraction. It's almost like this, like pushing away type of thing, like, like the opposite pole of a magnet um, and I've seen that come up in some client charts too, um, with their experiences. Um, okay. So that was just yeah, one other folk- note. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that like folks who are like newer to astrology, don't take this to mean that you're going to repel like people if you have Venus retrograde in your chart, because like it's, it's a whole nuanced complex like yeah. thing. All right. So let's dive into the nitty gritty here. I hope everyone's doing okay out there. I'm seeing some really great comments here in the chat. Thank you so much for participating here today. I'm really excited. Laughing to at Dusty's comment. Drake 100%. comes. <laughs> As a clown and is treated accordingly. Yeah, he's a, he is a little bit of a clown. I'm, uh, for sure. Um, okay. Abraham says Bjork has Venus and Capricorn. So that, that actually works well with your uh, Venus and Capricorn stuff we're going to be talking about so oh yeah um but let's start out with the f- the first of the month here and we'll, we'll go in chronological order so we're talking about uh monday november 1st and we're starting off in the balsamic phase of the moon so tying up some loose ends releasing some things at the beginning of the month um it is also associated with a cross holiday which i believe is pronounced correctly sawin um you know per- spelled s-a-m-h-a-i-n uh, a festival of the dead or a liminal space. Um, do you have some thoughts on, on Samhain? Uh, I do. Uh, I think that um, most of our understanding of what Samhain is, is sort of like a, it is a um, syncretic combination of, um, and like folks can jump in if I'm not correct about this, but this is the understanding I've gathered is that it's a, it's a syncretization of Catholic Day of the Dead or Catholic um, All Souls Day um, rites, which falls on November 1st. So that's where you get this connection to, um, in Europe anyway, this is like where you get this connection to like talking about like, like you're like the, the dead basically. 
um because it's like you got you can like hit up the saints to like intercess for whatever it's like it's like that's the the veil is thin that almost comes that it's like almost like just like christian basically in origin um there's not i haven't seen a ton of evidence for the idea that like it's like an ancient celtic like cross-quarter right for anything aside from it just being like a bot like a bonfire Mm. night essentially and my take on that bonfire thing i actually love the imagery of this um so like the equinoxes right are the moments in time where the the scales tip in the direction of either saturn or the sun right so when the sun crosses the fall equinox we're tipping into the realm of saturn the equal division of daylight slips into the realm of the night right Mm -hmm. um and so but it doesn't quite feel like that yet, right? In in the beginning of Libra season, we're still very much like being heated up by the by the remnants of Virgo and the peak solar power, right? Because we're still very much half and half. And then Scorp like Scorpio season, right? Fifteen degrees Scorpio to be exact marks that's the precise cross quarter. Mm-hmm. So we have like zero Cancer, zero Capricorn, zero Libra, zero Aries, right? As the as the the main uh, points on our compass but then these actual cross quarters happen at 15 degrees of the fixed signs right. so what's happening there is where we've reached the interstitial point between the fall right the fall equinox and the winter solstice yes so it's and and i feel like it's it's a great time to have a fucking bonfire right because you're you're it's like we're all on like the this part of a roller coaster, right? Yeah. You know, when they have that drop and then there's like the actual drop, like that's where we're right. at when, it, when we when we come to that moment of Scorpio season where it's like, oh, we're gonna go deep. Like, <laughs> ah. it's nice to like, I love our current secular traditions around it where we all dress up as terrifying things and like, and like, just like get drunk and like party and like have yeah. a celebration together. Cause it's like, we're all like reaching out our hand and being like, I accept like the darkness is coming like and it's not so bad like actually it's kind of chill like we're all friends yeah some some interesting additions is so you were right bonfires dancing and feasting to honor ancestors you know you were talking about the veil being the thinnest and that liminal space they would actually open up um I I don't know if it was actually like they opened up a grave site but they had like these mausoleums that you could enter and like visit your your ancestors or something like that um so threshold you know and uh you would honor the spirits there was something in around this period of time called mumming and guising which is basically the the primordial halloween where you dress up and you'd go door to door begging for food to be able to offer to the spirits of your ancestors uh and and you know also as an offering so that your livestock would make it through the winter. So you didn't want to piss off any angry ghosts and you wanted to make sure you were giving them their proper due so that right. <laughs> they didn't like, you know, kill all your, your cows or your sheep or whatever. So um, they want to do. Right. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and, and I guess that there is a, the dressing up part, um, they would recite verses going door to door and you were trying to hide from like vicious spirits, which I believe they, there's, there's this thing called AOSSI, ASI. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that, that was part of the like, okay, you want to be hidden from these, these, you know, more malicious spirits on some level. 
Uh, and that's my very cursory understanding of Samhain. And, um, but I do think it's interesting because it is that midpoint where it's like, it's the end of the harvest. It's like, all right, we've done all the work. Now it's like, let's go out, like, let's, let's rage against the dying of the light and like, just go out in a yeah. blaze of glory, <laughs> which you see with the yeah, trees actually, doing this, right? It's interesting that it, you mentioned that it's actually about the end of, I almost, I think about it as like, almost like we're girding ourselves for the descent, but it's interesting right. that like, I kind of like your take that it's more like, oh my God, the work is done. You know, like everyone's like throwing down their shovels. Cause like, yeah. traditionally right this time of the year actually corresponded with a decrease in solar activity unlike now in our unhinged culture of solar supremacy i will not go on that entire rant yeah but <laughs> but like you know like when you pass we have to do gate, something all the time right literally every yeah. fucking day and yeah. until you <laughs> yeah. die it's completely yeah. unhinged um yeah. but it used to be right that there was actually a solar the same way that the moon waxes and wanes throughout the month there was a solar waxing and waning throughout the year that actually related to human activity as opposed to just being something objective that's going on outside we all get seasonal depression because we're expected to maintain the same level of leonine solar productivity oh it's <laughs> insane I've, I've i've also felt very similarly and had similar rants about not allowing ourselves rest and relaxation time during the you know the darker part of the year and yeah right we we treat the sun like it's some kind of infinite it's the same way we treat like other types of like resources, like energy, like on earth, right? Like it's some kind of infinite ever burning ball of gas, which it is outside of the context of human life. Like it is, it is objectively like that, but it's not like that on earth. You know For a I mean? few more billion years, right? right. <laughs> until, <laughs> until it dies too. But, but yes, you know, and this is something we're facing um, in a harrowing way with late stage capitalism is that we've, you know, gotten into this mindset that we can have, have unlimited growth and we're, we're really exactly. reaping the consequences of that right now um, by the, the, the way that the earth is responding to that treatment. And I think that if we would to embrace the, the cycle uh, and embrace our malefics, our Mars and our Saturn, our rest periods and our severing from old forms rather than continually growing, I think we would really find a much healthier uh, collective and a much healthier right, to earth. actually create to create space for that fallow period if you think about like feel i always think about crop rotation right yeah. like you want you want to like give the, the system time to like actually just like let some shit decay on it for a while um mm -hmm. to like actually like not just aggressively deplete soil nutrients yeah yeah because if you keep you're right because if you keep trying to you know farm the same field with the same crop eventually right. like what grows produce yeah what grows there is has no vitamins <laughs> like it's not yeah, vital exactly. anymore so totally. that, i think that's another part of the beauty of scorpio season right is exactly we are, yeah, i was gonna tie it back to that <laughs> yeah we're creating the 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 loam the the compost that feeds the future fertility um, yeah. And that has benefit in and of itself. Like that's intrinsically beneficial. Like it's not just like, oh, we're doing this, we're going to get through it. And then we're going to get to the Sagittarius season. It's going to be Jupiter again. Like I'm trying to practice in my own life right now, the valuing of the periods that are restful, fallow about dissolution without appreciating them solely in the context of their utility for increased activity. Right. 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 I love that. 
And maybe that's part of the new paradigm that we're shifting towards with yeah. the, the Jupiter Saturn conjunction in the air signs versus the earth signs. Right. Totally. Um, I, I hope to shout out the nap ministry for that concept, by the way, on, they're on Instagram and Twitter. They're amazing. The nap ministry. Nice. Uh, you could put a, put a link in the chat box here. I'd love Let's to drop the names. So people check out. Look it up. Yeah. Radical so, resting. So we're, we're kind of breaking down the Samhain cross holiday, some meanings with that in the beginning of, of November. We have one aspect on, on November the 1st, uh, besides this balsamic moon here that is, I would say, non-lunar, is the, the Mercury is going to be trining Jupiter, um, which is a repeat of the retrograde trine that Mercury had when on October the 3rd. So potentially revisiting some kind of themes that we had around that period of time. Any thoughts about Mercury and Jupiter coming together? I feel like there's always a really visionary quality when these two planets talk to each other because it's their two different approaches to meaning, right? Like Jupiter is the like brain blown open, like, wow, that's a big picture idea, like type of meaning, right? And then right. Uh, that cannot be circumscribed with the mind, as our teacher Achuta would say. Um, and then Mercury is the ability to break concepts down into discrete communicable packages, right? Mm -hmm. So when these two connect, especially in such a Jupiterian way, we might have a nice opportunity to communicate these big picture, it's too big to get my head around moments. Yeah, I love that. And we've got Mercury hanging out on Spica. Um, so Ooh, potentially, yeah, so so Spica is the the concentration of the harvest point in the Virgo constellation. Um, so I see you Spica as being just very beneficial where we both recognize our own gifts that we have to give to the world. Um, but also it, it is a very helpful star where we might receive patronage or something of that nature. So this may be, we may be receiving messages from helpful people in our life that help move us forward. And especially because these two decans are about both restoring right proportion in the third decan of Libra and third decan Aquarius is really about untying karmic knots to move forward into the future. So releasing the past. So I think we may receive beneficial communication that helps us untie these old bindings that we have so that we can move into a new, a new ideal. Like, I think that's some of the difference between uh, Scorpio and Aquarius. I think that there is, you know, a, a physical separating from the body in Scorpio, but there's more of a, an idealism in Aquarius being of, of the nature of air and being pure Saturn. Remember, Saturn was uh, responsible for or, or yearned for the, the quote unquote golden age. And we can, we can have arguments about whether that was uh, like there is really no golden age, but there are definitely yeah, the golden some, age. Was it so golden? Yeah. Well, there's definitely themes though with Saturn, um, you know, trying right. like, to, to, he to wants order for order. something good. Yeah. And one thing I wanted it's, it's to, utopian almost. Well, and one, one thing I wanted to bring up as we were talking about these squares that we're going to be seeing from the sun and Saturn and all of these things really been getting into Liz green lately and her book, the luminaries. And she, she has this really interesting way of describing Saturn uh, and the Saturn myths, where she was talking about Saturn um, castrating things into form. So there's a castration myth with Saturn where he uh, castrated his father, Uranus, 
and um, and then he swallowed his children, the Olympians, Jupiter and Hestia and all of those uh, siblings. And so Liz Green's talking about when we bring something into form, and remember, Saturn was an agrarian god, okay? Totally. He was a god of agriculture. That scythe had a very functional purpose that wasn't right. just dragging souls around. <laughs> <laughs> right. That we are eliminating future possibilities by concretizing it into matter. We are castrating, yes. right? Yes, um, eliminating future possibilities as the way Saturn shapes things into form is like my number one bit yeah, for him. Because so it's good. like, it's like with when you have, if he's opposed to the lights, right? When you have just the lights, you have infinite manifestation, which is like basically the exact same as nothing. It's yeah. just like a shining void, right? Well, that's our Jupiterian, isn't it? Like possibilities, endless like possibilities to expand um totally and i think that when he's swallowing his children too he's afraid of the future he's afraid of expansion he says i want this to be the same you know and i think people have a real you can attest because to this he swallows too. all of the options right exactly right. he says all right i'm gonna <laughs> keep this the way it is but i think people even misunderstand aquarius on some level too and you can speak to this with more authority i think on some level because you have some some prominent aquarian stuff in your chart right um sun without namely. without giving too much away i don't know how much you share it's okay i'll give it away it's, okay. it's, i have a son in aquarius okay um but but i think that there's one of the ways that joy usher in, in the book a tiny universe talks about is there can be an a uh, a sort of mm, it's definitely a thirty thousand foot view but it's also like what narrative are we going to allow to be like to live do you know what i'm saying like sometimes with yeah Saturn, totally it's the elimination totally, of other ideas yeah. this is totally even what narrative are we going to allow to live is such a jupiter in saturn sign yeah thing right because if jupiter is the storyteller right and like i i love i love that so much because i've really been thinking about this right because it's like less about we're sloughing off like old like objects in Aquarius. And it's more like we're sloughing off old ideologies, like things, right. like like the narratives. Or, and I'm seeing this in my own life, right? Like the, the narrative structures that shape my thoughts mm. are shifting for the first time, maybe like a decade, I feel like. And yeah. that's, that's really cool. It's like the container that tells you where you can think thoughts is actually, that's like what narrative myth does. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll tell you what, Liz, Liz Green, Joy Usher, two masters, check out their books. I'm a huge fan. And I, I will say that what I love about Liz is that she anticipated a lot of the Hellenistic revival just from her nice. thorough knowledge of myth. And it, it's just beautiful to see how that, you know, fits in to the new techniques that we've been uncovering um, and how the myths fit with that and that archetypal type of experience. So, all right. So we've got this, this, uh, November 1st, Jupiter, Mercury trine. So that, that is a nice aspect that we start the month off with, restoring balance, releasing karmic ties. If we move forward one day, we are going to move into Scorpio 2. So you can see that the sun has now moved into that second decan. We have that six of cups type of experience. Um, Austin Coppett calls this decan mutual distillation. It, it, my my deep dive thought about this is it's about energetic exchanges that are distilling essence and but I think it's more about because a lot of people talk about this card being a nostalgic card 
I think it's kind of the coming together for like one final, like, you know, <laughs> a chemical union to eventually say, okay, we've, we've distilled every last drop of vitality out of this so we can finally discard it. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. In the thought deck, it's called pleasure. Um, so yeah. I feel like that, that out and obviously like Crowley, the creator of that deck, it was, is so into alchemical union of opposites as like his like number one thing. Um, so if you have like alchemical processes going on that involve like two things coming together, like that to, to him is like the highest form of pleasure. Yeah. Well, and think about this too. The, the, in the theme of Mundi, the, the metaphorical natal chart of the world, Scorpio is on the fifth house. So it's uh, pretty interesting to me to see that that's both associated with pleasure, but also leaving a legacy after death. If we look at it in context of the angular triad of the fourth house of what happens mm. after we, we go to the underworld for the judgment of Mott right. in the Libra. After decade. the end of the matter. Exactly. So we, we leave things behind. We leave behind children or we leave behind a legacy. We leave behind our creative works. Um, all of those things. Totally. Um, that's a great, that's a great thought about the fifth. So we're also seeing um, on the second, our friend, the square <laughs> between the Libra, Libra three and uh, Pluto. Um, we've seen a number of planets over the course of October going through this square. Uh, the sun, Mars, Mercury retrograde has gone through this square with Pluto. Uh, so we have the, the the final pass, I think, of a of a you know non-lunar planet to the square for 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 the time being. Um, so, what do you think about Mercury and Pluto coming together in this challenging energy potentially? Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about land equity nonstop with this with these like this month, like this past month, uh, mm -hmm. and I feel like that is a like, interesting. Like, I'm just kind of throwing that out there because like Pluto, in addition to being all of these like very like like you know literal like hellish things um and by that i just mean like maybe like underground like uh he's it's also the third share right it's like he you who rules the third share in the orphic hymn right and the, mm -hmm. the three shares are like air water and then like literally the ground like right. the earth um so there's this huge connection to land um and like just literally land uh which is a pretty, which is, a, and especially in Capricorn, I've been just getting hit over the head with this, with Pluto and Capricorn. Um, and I feel like that's a nice neutral Pluto thing, um, that, as opposed to some of the more like hellishly charged uh, connotations of him. Sure. Um, and with, with all these Libra planets, right, these questions of justice overcoming um, Pluto, I've just been thinking so much and I've seen other people thinking about um, the equitable distribution of land, like uh, people of color, like black and indigenous people of color specifically who have been like uh, systematically not uh, given access to land and like the, and like the impacts of that uh, systemic withholding or active taking. Um, yeah, I just, with Mercury there, I feel like just like thinking, like I've just been like thinking about, like about that as like Mars well, that makes, um, that makes a lot of sense with this square in particular, because mm -hmm. remember, we have the third decan of Libra being having a, a daimonic spirit 
nemesis is associated with it. The, the, okay. the, the giver of what is your due and the restorer of right proportion. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, and, and Pluto is in the third decan of Capricorn, which has, has to do, I think, with administrative systems, with governments, with administration of power. Yeah, like the, the throne, right? Right. So, so you're talking about redistributing land to those that it may have been stolen from right and and restoring the balance and restoring right proportion from some kind of past corruption i think it, pluto to me is always this i used to think I, I say this ad nauseum i have my own little ticks on this show but <laughs> but i used to say that pluto was like the clogged toilet which it is but it's more the plunger that is saying, okay, you, you've ignored this for a long time. I'm going to erupt this from the underworld and come up and you're going to have to deal with this. Right. Like right? exactly. Like it, it digs deep. Uh, like it's excavating. That's another yes. nice way to like tie that, those two functions to land. Right. Right. So maybe there's a re, like you were saying, we're questioning Mercury. What would be fair to deal with this past governmental systemic corruption? You know, and, and you were yeah, saying, like what is equitable? And it could be very well related to the land because I think that's that that Capricorn, especially is that very land, uh, earthy expression of Saturn, right? That more totally. agricultural, yeah, exactly. agrarian Saturn, rather than the idealistic Saturn. You can think of Capricorn as the combination right. of Mars and Saturn rather than just pure Saturnian idealism. And, and it, there is Saturnian idealism. I think that that does exist. Um, it may be more sober than like, Jupiterian idealism, but you know, they each have their own agendas. Yeah, right? I mean Saturnine idealism is like everyone can conform to the to the rules successfully, right? It's like right. it's actually weirdly utopian, right? Where it's like yeah. it's like we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna set um set legislation down about how we're gonna behave inside the system, and then that's gonna go great. Like yeah. that, you know, like that idea, like no one's gonna rebel. Yeah. I'm seeing we got some nice comments from Sasha here talking about Liz's book, uh, A New Look at the Old Devil with Saturn. Great book. Um, really recommend people go out and check that out. Uh, Jared is here. Uh, hello, Jared. Thank you for stopping by. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've got that square going on on the second. And then a day later, okay, a day later, we have an interesting um, moment of phosis with Mercury. Okay. So Mercury is going to be going within 15 degrees of the sun, okay, which is called uh, the, its morning set. So you can see that, that Mercury is uh, rising before the sun, and this is part of Mercury's synodic cycle. So when we have uh, a relationship of a planet to the sun, we call that its synodic cycle. And Mercury is a really interesting one because it, it makes these multiple passes with the sun. It does a retrograde conjunction, which is called the inferior conjunction. And then it, it, it conjoins again um, from the superior position, which is the morning kind of direction. Now, here's one thing I wanted to throw out to you. And if you have some, I want you to meditate on this and see if you have any thoughts on this. Gary Caton once talked about the, the retrograde conjunction being Hermes going into the underworld and being the psychopomp. And I asked him, I was like, well, then when is Hermes visiting Olympus? And I thought maybe this, this superior conjunction may be that period of time, right? Where he's so vi visiting the gods. Um, so so is that, does that make sense? Does that work? Yeah. 
it yeah. does make a lot of sense to me because I think that yeah I have lots of thoughts about this Mercury as the messenger and the fact that he um, zips around faster than Earth right as the, right. the function of him that allows him to deliver messages between us and divinity. Um, so so, so my question: do, do you think who is this the little friend that we have here? This is Lucian. Hi, Lucian. Hi. He is a Scorpio. He just like can't let it not. Be my kitties are are locked out right now because they will try to unplug my router. <laughs> oh my gosh! So, um, but you can find them on my Instagram stories quite often because that's pretty much the only thing I post besides like advertising my live streams is videos of them. <laughs> like, uh, that's important and valid. So here's my question for you, and, and this is something that I've meditated on and I've been thinking about. When Mercury is visible, is he, uh, or they, I guess, because it's more ambiguous, uh, are they on the Earth, and then when the superior conjunction happens, they are on Olympus, or are they returning to the Earth at the superior conjunction with messages from the collective or from Olympus? What do you think about that? I feel like as they approach the sun, I feel like that is them approaching Olympus, but I think we could also see it as like, that's because I, I call Hermes before I call Olympians. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm like, can you, I'm like, carry your message to God's ear, basically, or like carry my message to God's ear. So I think that it's, it's not just that function of him just like going to hang out with them to see what they have to say to us. But it's also like, it's not just the beginning of that cycle. It's the end of the cycle of us sending up a prayer right mm. and like like maybe setting in motion an intention like we have the whole time where mercury isn't combust to like use his functions to like think through right. what we want right and like what we're asking of divinity and then as he like goes into kazemi right he like impregnates the like you know what i mean like he like he like enters the heart of the sun and right. like he enters that space in the matrix through which the matrix of like reality right through which things can permeate out from right like the yeah. sun can like shine it out into manifest reality so, so you think yes that, the one that, with mars and leo sorry so <laughs> you think during yeah, this um under the sun beams phase we are in the process of delivering our wishes and communications to a divine spirit to manifest yeah it could be it's hard though because it's like i feel like the 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 thinking mind stops functioning as well when this happens, right? Um, the thing that can break things down to language. So it's like you want to use the time leading up to it to distill the intention. Mm. And then it's like, maybe it's just like in motion at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's always been something I've been meditating on, thinking about what- no, I really like how, that. How it would all fit. And, and, and Gary Caton, of course, is really has a great book on, on the Hermes cycle. Uh, and the achemical year of Hermes and whatnot and Mercury. So check check that out as well. He's kind of the, the Hermes dude. Um, okay, so we've got Mercury going under the sun's beams, which is called its morning set. It will be Kazemi on the 28th at seven degrees of Sagittarius, but we'll get to that. Uh, and then we move forward here, and we're moving forward a couple days, or one day actually, and we are coming across the uh, new moon in Scorpio. So what do you got for us? New moon, Scorpio, November the 4th. 
What do I have for us? Oh uh, gosh, obviously it's opposed Uranus, um, right. which is kind of a lot. Uh, exactly, um, like it's like within minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, it totally is. Um, I don't really have a tons of, a ton of thoughts on this, except in the context of its connection to the to the coming full moon, because we're going to see that same Uranus catch a trine from venus at this point excuse me so it feels like me <laughs> you can like see him off screen that's so funny sorry he's insisting um you can you can see like uh like this like thing that's like sort of like locked in right get this relief on the new on the on the new moon eclipse but i don't i think I'm going to turn it over to you to just like kind of like start musing about like what you think this might manifest as. Well, I think Lucian is trying to give us a preview. I know. I'm just like, my brain is kind of like, oh, like, like, Lucian is the, is saying, I am Prometheus. He's like, I'm here to fucking disrupt you. I have a role. So, okay. I have a couple thoughts. I think, um, I, I, you know, we have to go back to that second decan of, of Scorpio and the kind of the merging of consciousness with some kind of other to to distill down essence. Now, that can be for better or for worse. I think that sometimes when we merge emotionally with people, we can exchange good things. And other times we can exchange things that are toxic. So uh, there may be an opportunity here to to examine at this new moon the types of in, emotional, deep, intimate interchanges that help us to distill essence. Now, with an, oppos- with an opposition here to Uranus, I mean, I would say the first thing that you could look at is look at the Scorpio, Taurus areas of your chart and realize that, that this new partnership, this new fusing of energies may have a disruptive uh, quality for that opposite house. Um, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'll have to let all you know how this goes because this, uh, new moon is exactly on my IC and Uranus is going to be exactly on my MC. So something yeah. is going to be coming to fruition in my home life that may become visible at that eclipse. Right. Uh, so I'll keep you all posted. Um, but I think one other way we can think about this too, is it's pretty close to a fixed star called Alfeca. Um, which, which, from my understanding, has uh, some significations with the myth of Ariadne, who helped Theseus escape from the uh, the labyrinth. He, she gave him some string to be able to find his way out of the labyrinth, and eventually he married her, but then abandoned her on an island. Uh, you know, to, only for her to be classic, uh, right? It's like, it's like, oh, sorry, thanks for helping, you know. But then Dionysus was like, okay, uh, you're pretty hot, like, let's you could be my wife or something like that. I don't know why he, he chose her, but maybe he, he had pity, um, right? So, so I think that uh, there's a gift of social status that comes with some sort of uh challenge. Right, uh, I've I've seen some some material about like Princess Diana had a, a prominent Alfeca placement 
uh, Marilyn Monroe had something to do with Alfeca, where where you were given this gift of like status, but then it came with its own pains, you know? So I I guess what I would say is two things. Be careful if you are offered an an opportunity to rise in social status at this new moon, um, that it may not cause a disruption in in another part of your life, um, because it may come with a price. Uh, The other thing that with Scorpio too is, I think that we can get involved with relationships that may end up being um, either codependent or like energy vampire type of experiences where we're feeding on one another. Um, so I would be careful of that too, that you, it, it, is, it could be a time where you could get involved with that type of thing around this period of time. Does that make sense? Totally. That sounds like something to watch out for. Um, yeah. and then I like we're that all- Promethean lightning bolt like imagery, like coming, coming into the dark moon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Prometheus and Uranus, you know, I think Richard Tarnas made that, that kind of connection in cosmos and psyche. Um, Schmidt calls Uranus kind of a transcendental sun, Robert Schmidt of of Project Hindsight, where it's like kind of this like mm, idealistic vision for a collective you know, like, and I think I could see that I could, and I could see rebellion happening because what happens when, you know, reality doesn't match up with the idealized version, people get mad. <laughs> like, totally. So uh, the sun is going to be opposite Uranus here. And obviously at this new moon as well. So there may be some frustration or impatience or erratic behavior where your personal will may not be matching up with the will of the collective. Um, so I think that, yeah, the, this is the fruition of the Sun-Uranus conjunction that happened around April the 30th. Um, and I, I remember my, my own, in my own life, I was dreaming about getting a farm and like going off of grid or something like that. And it's like literally my dream every day. Right. Our, our, our cottage core dreams, right? <laughs> like, and I've been speaking a lot with my partner about like, how do we make that a reality? So I wonder if there will be themes. to my partner. <laughs> right. So, so maybe that's part of this as well. Um, so we'll see. All yes. right. God, God willing. Yeah. So we'll keep on rolling here. Who's got some ground to cover still. Yeah. We've got some folks <laughs> like, damn, we're on the fourth. <laughs> I know. We, yeah. We need to, we need to keep going. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll, 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 we'll say, try to speed. We'll it. say less. <laughs> so on October the 5th, or I'm sorry, October, November the 5th, uh, Venus moves into Capricorn. Um, we've got some two of pentacles action. Also, Mercury moves into Scorpio as well. So what are your thoughts on, you You had some thoughts on Scorpio, um, Mercury and Venus and Capricorn here, right? Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that new moon and the Uranus being brought into play. And this is going to take us through like the whole month, this energy, I think, of mm-hmm. of uh, of Venus in Capricorn, right? Because it's like that, she's there the entire time. Um, so I've just been getting this vibe so hard of Athena, right? We've been talking about like the solar order, um, mm-hmm. like just sort of like the order to which we all adhere in various um, contexts. And uh, Athena is like, she's she's like, she, she, her, she the birth of Athena, right? Is like, she like explodes from the head of her father. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, like, like Zeus eats her, I guess. He's just like, I guess, deal, like processing father trauma for being eaten um, by his own father, I guess. Like, uh, like, and I mean, it's, it's, 
yeah, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that exactly, but um, she's in there. There's that gestational thing happening, right? Where like, like something is being, is being digested. And then she comes out in this like non-servum, like I will not serve way, right? Where she literally just like bursts forth from his head. That's very Uranian to me, right? And I think yeah. we're going to see the bursting forth um, like that of Athena, right? Because we have all these planets in Scorpio and what is that receptive Mars or like a feminine Mars too? Mm. Um, I think Athena is a great example of that because there's no way in which she's like, a debilitated Mars, right? Like she's right. definitely a dignified Mars, like, um, and she's like, yeah. So I thought, I thought, I think that that is like a really interesting thing to think about as Venus enters Capricorn, because like Capricorn is like the realm of Saturn, right? Mm. So it's like kind of it is like the order. Um, and Athena is not, she's a servant of the order very much. She's like, she's like known for her wisdom. Um, she patrons heroes. Uh, so like all of the main characters of Greek mythology, like she's most of their patrons, right? Like um, Odysseus is like a prime example, Perseus. So she's not like, it's not like, there's not like a rebellion happening here with Athena. It's like the, like Venus is entering the realm of of Saturn, right? Mm-hmm. She's like entering the the system. What, I know a person um, with Venus in, in Saturn sign who is using who is like an incredible businesswoman, but like also a witch and is like really anti-capitalist, but it's also like leveraging money um, to gain personal power. And so I feel like Venus in Capricorn kind of reminds me of that, where it's like, how can we take all of these resources um, and like my Venusian arts and put them um, to the task of pleasure, right? And enjoyment. Um, it's kind of a pivot off the Athena topic, but I just, I like, I like that for her. Um, yeah. So like, she's just on this sojourn. So I feel like you're going to get a chance to like be introduced to Athena with all of these, because it's not just Venus and Capricorn. That's her it's Venus and Capricorn being sextile by this like super dignified Mars, right? It's like combining these two archetypes that, that brings out this like Athenian, situation yeah that's a super that's a super interesting take because you know capricorn is also the exaltation house of mars so you know you've got you're bringing mars into that place as well yeah Um, exactly you know just it you know circling it back to the tarot you've got the two of pentacles card for the first decan of capricorn and and that to me is the it's the beginning of the earth cycle where we are trying to think about the best place to build or to incarnate, right? It's the return mm. of the solar year at the winter solstice with this this zero Capricorn point. Um, I th- there's a, you know, Austin talks a lot about um, finding out what the genus loci uh, is of a place, you know, the spirit of yeah, a place. Yeah, the genus loca, yeah, totally. Yeah, genus loca, yeah, there you go. Be... <laughs> like, I don't know how to pronounce that. But... I'm, 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 like, I'm like 80% on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just glad I got Samhain right today. (laughs) So um, I think that the, you know, it's really, you may be attracted to the advantages and disadvantages of a physical place with this placement as well. You know, you know, going back to our cottage core dreams that I think many people share in the chat box here. The chat, yeah. (laughs) 
you know, maybe this is a, a time where it's like, hey, where is the best place to, to, to build the, the farm or to lay down roots or something like that? And we may be trying to, to think about, you know, what, 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 what that looks like. You know, if you think about it in order, if you, if you have the cardinal sign of Capricorn, where do we build? All right. Where, where are we going to construct yeah. our skeletal system like Saturn would want to do? And then, you know, you move to Taurus, the fixed sign, and you, you have to plow the fields and then fertilize them and fructify them, plant the seeds and grow yeah, something. Like first decade of cap is like setting the gears in motion to like actually create like change. Yeah. Well, and then, then finally you get to, to uh, Virgo where you're reaping the harvest of what you've grown through the, mm-hmm. through the, the uh, Taurus cycle type of thing. So there's definitely stories yeah. there. It's, it's interesting to find, to try to contextualize things in linear fashion, because I think that there's so many different ways to view time. Um, I always find myself trying to like, you know, look at different like circular linear patterns, but um, I don't know. <laughs> it's always kind of Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. I was thinking about that preparing for this for sure. Like that it's like, so I was like, oh, how would I describe Athena? I regularly describe her as Venus and Aries, right? Because right. it's like it's like a Venusian in an Aries in context, and I think that yeah. that makes sense when you're looking at it from one direction. But then looking at it from this other direction of the like the Martian dignity, right? It also mm-hmm. like another story gets told with Mars and Scorpio. It's like a kaleidoscope. Like yeah. What about uh, Mercury here moving into Scorpio? I I, I have. Uh... My notes, I just wrote down a, a cunning intelligence, a hunger for information and depth, questioning motives, um, revealing hidden processes. Uh, I, I like the word questioning with Mercury. I always feel like wherever Mercury is going through, it's Probing? like... Probing? Yeah, pr- yeah, there you go. Like you know? Scorpio, y'all are the king of the probing question. Yeah. I feel maybe, like... Maybe this is the, the point where we're casting doubt on... Uh, you know, what our actual desire nature is, right? Mm. I don't know. I like Mercury totally. for casting doubt and destabilizing and saying, all right, let's shake it up. You know, I almost think Mercury has a little bit of that, some of the qualities that we ascribe to Uranus sometimes too, you know, where it's saying, all right. Yeah, the busting of the carapace, right? Yeah. Like, like we're, we're coming out of our shell. For sure. Um, I wanted to mention that, that, that being receptive a receptive sign again and also scorpio is traditionally known as a mute sign hmm. so so we have mercury who is very chatty um hmm. enter entering the a mute sign and it's a receptive water so i feel like it takes on less of these connotations of speaking as it does listening um hmm. and like we have scorpio as the te- we kind of talked about that right like 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 scorpios are able to hold that space to hold the container to receive information this is what makes i feel like scorpio the brilliant strategist that it is um is that it perceives everything it's like taking it in right and then like collating the information yeah so to put your uh, put your listening caps on right <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody put their listening caps on yeah well well think about this though the, if you embrace silence think of all the secrets that you can learn when you're observing people exactly that's <laughs> like that's totally it that's totally it right. um yeah and communication might get a little bit hard as mercury enters scorpio yeah. um, especially due to its proximity to the sun but it's not hard in a mercury retrograde way where you're just like people are talking past each other um that kind of thing 
it's it's deep water. Scorpio deals with in things that lie beneath the surface. And mm. as such, it's stuff that's difficult to describe, right? Because yeah. like language, the mercurial function, that's kind of it's very airy, right? So if we're trying to if we're trying to swords language, right? Like talk in in the airway with discrete meaning and like, you know, like the back and forth that we're so used to with like Gemini, for example, right. um, we're not going to get very far with, with Scorpio Mercury. So I feel like it's a time to communicate in this nuanced way that like feels into our emotional body. Like don't put the pressure on words to do exactly their discrete job. Like we have to be like the fish in water as opposed to like an air human creature in trying to like swim swiftly in water. Well, maybe also don't even feel that you have to do all the inane social pleasantries. You can just get, get to the heart of the matter, you know, <laughs> like cut yeah, through, cut totally. through the crap and just like, what do you really try to say here? <laughs> you know, like, definitely. Yeah. So I that also might love be part that about Scorpio. Like you yeah. don't have to fuck around with like pleasantries and stuff like that. Yes, Lucian. You're a very oh. good Scorpio. <laughs> All right. So on the sixth, we have just a little minor aspect with Mercury sextiling Venus at one degree of, of Scorpio and Capricorn. So maybe, um, you know, some of these things cooperating with one another by maybe we'll hear some messages around a, a, a potential new opportunity with related to location or things of that nature. I don't want to spend too much time on the sextiles because they're, they're yeah, I'll let you just like carry us through a little helpful, bit to, but, <laughs> to, to get us to get us click yeah, through some time. I, I do think that we should spend some time on this day here, though, uh, November the 10th, because there's a, quite a bit of action happening on November the 10th as we move forward. Yeah. Wednesday. Um, yeah, this is a big day. So a, lot. <laughs> a couple things that I'll point out and then we'll kind of dive into it. So first of all, we are seeing a Mercury-Mars Mercury conjunction that is simultaneously squaring uh, Saturn. So we've got all of this stuff kind of, you know, firing us up and then it's squaring Saturn and also the moon is activating Saturn with a conjunction that day as well so it's it's not not only are we feeling this non-lunar aspect but the moon which I sort of think about as like a music box cylinder that that strikes all the notes of the other planets on some level oh, I like that so it's really like we're gonna hear the tone of Saturn come up with this day as well what do you what do you what are you seeing with this uh this, this square here with these planets like ow like anytime you get this much this much shit like in a square like it's like it's pretty atypical that you lol uh kira says i marked this day on my calendar as <laughs> right. all caps no work yeah. no social media and honestly that is brilliant every time yeah. i see a dumpster fire pop off on astro <laughs> twitter yeah. i then at the end of the day see the one wise person be like Wow, I'm really glad I looked at the transits today and decided not to log on at all. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm just like, damn, wish I were you. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So this might this might be a day for that. It's a spicy um, day, right? It's really spicy. Yeah, it's totally spicy. It's like there's not a lot of motion though because it's fixed. Yeah. So 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 ways that this could play out that that Kira is pointing out it would be you know maybe take a time out from social media. You could probably expect to feel fired up uh, with Mars conjoining Mercury about something that's very deeply important to you. And it may be causing uh, a conflict with something that may lead to an eventual defeat. The, the, the Saturn's in the Deccan 
um, associated with the Five of Swords, which is called defeat. So if you kind of pop off about something, and, and this, these arguments on this day could get really nasty, because I think that they're about something so structural right and, it, and it could yeah it, it could be yeah about like some kind of social construct yeah, but the, i think i see potentially like like women being implicated here too with like yeah. with like the set mars making that sextile to to venus that could be it mm -hmm. could be like something like women's rights oriented sure. comes up in the news or like something like that definitely because with it with it overcoming all of those guys in aquarius it's very much like the system you right. know what i mean like right. we're 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 throwing a Martian spear at the system, like a Molotov cocktail. Into yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that the fights that could come up with this could be especially nasty because one of the gifts of Scorpio is being able to, through that silent observation, to to be able to see a weakness and to be able to like be like, oh, I know exactly where the psychological weakness is. And oh, it, so true because right? that, that receptive consciousness, right, has been taking it yeah. all in and just and, and it's like it's not necessarily that it even takes a long time. It's like sometimes they just like see it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, the cracks. In the it's intuitive. Base. It's intuitive. You know, intuitive, that's a great word for it. So so I think that, you know, you may be tempted to go right to the very core of something or someone may, you know, do that to you. And it, you want to be very careful because that can lead to a, a real feeling of of exile, you know, a real feeling of, of smashing your head headlong into the brick wall. That's what I see Mars like making this square to Saturn is we want to move forward. We want to fight. We want to, you know, get to the core of something, but our, our movement is limited. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's totally. that, that frustration. It's, it's like it with fixed energy like this. It's not that it's our movement is limited only in the present right? Because like fixed energy unfolds over long periods of time. So yeah. if the impulse is because of this, this intense square energy, right, that's going to be something coming up, popping off, right, in the moment, right. um, even though that, that's there, right, I feel like we want to stretch out our consciousness over time and not attempt to address it in right. the fucking moment, per se. Um, like it could just be like a healing exercise. Per like if I run into something like a deep, say I were to run into like some kind of like Scorpio is my 12. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to run into something like really acute, what I'm going to try and do is pull myself back from that place of acute stimulation and maybe just like take some bullet points about the big feelings I'm having right now and then yeah. explore them later, like in a, in a, in a safe container. Yeah, I, and, and you, like you're saying, to be able to be objective, I think this could be the conflict between passion and almost obs obsession about an emotional ideal versus being detached, you know, and, and saying, okay, what is what is really best for all or the whole or whatnot. I want to share a, a short anecdote. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of this because I went back and I looked at the last Mars-Saturn square in my own life because... I write all the aspects in my the margins of my journal, <laughs> which I would highly recommend if you want to contextualize. Yeah, and I it was now granted this is between this is Mars in Libra versus Saturn in Capricorn, so it'll be a little bit of a different flavor. But I my daughter is a competitive swimmer. She she was pre pandemic, and I was getting really into it 
and I was being a little bit helicopter parenty about it. N not a little, a lot. It <laughs> I was getting too into it. And uh, I would go to like practice and, if, and there was another teammate that, that she had that was really like slacking off, you know, like wasn't taking it very seriously and, but also was in a position of authority. And I got sort of really irritated because this, this person was, was making my daughter feel bad for working hard. And she was sitting out for like half of the practices and like, but also like making fun of my daughter for, for putting in the hard work, which is what I was trying to teach her, you know, and I just lost my cool. This was happening for a long period of time. And I just sort of like blew up at this other child, <laughs> like oh, <no. laughs> literally like it was a high school kid. So it wasn't like they were like a little kid. Right. They were, they were a, a senior in high school. So, but, but, you, still but don't it, feel, you still don't feel good about it. <laughs> right. I felt terrible. I, it was not my place. It was just my frustration bubbling over and I got right. kicked. I got kicked out of practice. I got like, I got a call from like the athletic director of the school oh, eventually be like, you're not going to be in practice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, And I was like, okay, I totally understand. I'm super sorry. Like that was super inappropriate. I, I get it. And, and it, it was also cause I had a deep desire for her to be, to improve. And I, I was coming across the, the limitations of the situation and running headlong into that brick wall. And my frustration bubbled over into a point where I received a Saturnian like reality check rebuke rebuke yeah. exactly and 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 I and I'm nervous now because that was in my third house to my sixth house uh this one's gonna be angular for me so hopefully I've learned my lesson from this last Mars Saturn uh you know rebuke that I don't repeat that but yeah, I, and I, I just, think what you're describing is an example of of attempting to deal with a long-term protracted thing like in right. the moment when the moment doesn't support it because like right. Saturn is like, nah. Right, right. And, and, and exactly. It was it was a, a momentary desire and that of wanting to change a system that I didn't have control over. Because like her high school swim team is sort of dysfunctional. It isn't it wasn't the most well organized. And I was just getting really upset about the disorganization of it. And right, it's the whole thing. It's exactly. like the entire thing. I want my daughter to have a positive athletics experience. And That's then right. it's like you you see the opportunity occur in the right. contact between Mars and Saturn to like address it. Right. But it's like, you've addressed it acutely yes. when the problem is systemic. It, it, it just, it, I read that story and I was like, oh man, that's, <laughs> that's such a perfect story. Um, and and uh, throughout this entire period, I was trying to get her on this new club team that was a little bit more functional. And I was so frustrated that we couldn't get on the team. And eventually we we did, and she had a really good experience with it. But I had to learn patience. So I, I really think yeah, that the, the delayed that gratification, so right? Delayed gratification is still, I think, the modus operandi here. Don't let your momentary acute desires in the moment lead to a, a, a retribution or a rebuke. You have to be patient with it. And this may be socially as well. We want change. We want that idealized Sat Saturnian narrative, right? But we may have to live into those answers. Um, I, I just think that sometimes change happens incrementally. And I know that that's hard because we, we want to force the issue sometimes, right? Um, but I don't yeah, know. And I also think that change can happen explosively, but it's like yeah. it has to occur at the right moment. This is right. not a moment of, expl of explosive change actually transpiring. No. It, it could no. be a moment of explosion, but it's not like somewhere where you're like catching a trine from Uranus or something, like when you're, right. your movement just gets that chance to blow past a boundary 
right? Totally. And you know, the other thing is the thing about it is these are fixed signs. Everyone's going to be very entrenched in their particular Sorry. position. There's not going to be a whole lot of wiggle room at the, with these aspects. And that's something to keep in mind is you may have to live with the fact that this person's entrenched in their position, this other person's entrenched in theirs. But I do think that, you know, just previewing the end of the month, our belief systems will be getting a little bit of a renewal with the south node contacts with mercury and the sun so even if this period of time is frustrating there is relief that we may experience at the at the end of the month when sagittarius season starts up so be careful around the mid middle of the month that you don't get into these like really toxic uh arguments that can't possibly be won at that period of time and like like kira is saying maybe it's time to sit this one out a little bit and like just practice your self-care you know right go, go touch grass yes there you go all right so that's the 10th um if we move forward that's good that's a good i think that's a really great way of thinking about this we move forward to the next day 11 11 um we see the sun moving into scorpio 3. so we we do have a new decan that we're gonna be experiencing where we get maybe outside of this you know i don't know a chemical exchange energy and more into the the temptation to renew a form that is way past its prime so this may be the time where we're really we've we've sucked all the essence out of that relationship and now we have to say it's over let's return it to the earth so we can liberate the new spirit for something new okay um we're gonna have a first quarter moon on this day too where a square between that scorpionic energy and the leaving the past behind energy that the moon's happening here. So I always think of first quarter moons as as material crises, right? Where we're trying to bring something into being, but there's always this challenge that we've got to overcome in manifestation. Um, any thoughts on, on quarter moons? I'm oddly getting this sense just like in my body almost of like, of this like Deccan being like, um, asking ghosts for help with a task kind oh, yeah. of yeah. um because there's this like it's conjoined jupiter right this quarter moon mm -hmm. um it's like one way to, to make it make sense but like i just i know that like um austin has this decanic imagery of like basically like a crow seeking something shiny right, right in the woods right. or something like that yeah so i'm kind of and i'm hearing you describe it it's like oh all of the juice has been sucked out of it I'm thinking about like casting yourself back to a magical system of the past, right? And like taking, like stealing that like alchemical knowledge, right? From like, yeah, like the pockets of a Rosicrucian or something like that to like, to use for, or or just like asking an ancestor a question. That could be like a great connotation of this. I love this. that. I love it. I, I love the ancestral part of this season of November in particular, because I do think that's part of the solution to some of these challenges we're experiencing is totally. you know having a conversation with with that that spirit world with the other side um you know being able to to separate reality from uh past you know the, 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 there's a dime on our spirit with this decan called kairos and then kairos is basically translates to opportunity and the, the myth goes is that kairos has a little lock of hair that comes off his forehead and you can only catch him from the front even Zeus himself can't catch Kairos from from behind. So it's like you, you can't chase this moment that's past. You have to accept the fact that it had its moment and you you will start to create 
painful suffering if you start trying to chase this this moment that has already outlived its time. So return it to the earth because if once you return that form to the earth, the essence remains and the essence will be able to find a new vehicle, a new host. Right. And that's what we're heading towards with Sagittarius 1. So if, so if we think about it like an ancestor, it's like it's like they don't need to cling to life to like still like be in like the ancestral realm, right? For you to confer right. with in the future. Right. Essence remains. And that's where the faith part comes in. And that's why sometimes Scorpio is associated with, you know, having like the experience of the, the other worldly experience. Um, you do see some religious zealotry in this area of the Zodiac, Scorpio and Sagittarius on some level as well. Um, and I think that part of that is is learning to discard that form, to know that you know, think about it not as what you're losing. I always tell clients that have this five of cups first second is, look, there's two cups still remaining. You know, yes, mourn your losses, but it's reversing to the to the gratitude of what is left and realizing that when we get in touch with essence versus form, that essence can take all sorts of new forms. So you're really just clearing the decks to, to be able to have a expression of who you are now not who you were does that make sense mm. yeah that's so nice i love that like even though you're leaving something behind it's disappointing to let go of like right you get to sit with like what you became in the process of having that thing totally all right let's let's go forward to the 12th um here we have a, a sun jupiter trine Whew. what do you think um, about jupiter what are your thoughts or i'm sorry jupiter it's neptune style? sorry no oh. we have a, a sun <laughs> neptune like... sorry my brain is doing different things it's no, saying fine. weird words so we have a, a Sun-Neptune trine. Uh, what are your thoughts on Neptune? Because I, I have a weird experience with Neptune, but I'm curious as to what other people feel. I get dissolution a lot from Neptune. Like it's like the power of the waters to erode structure, mm. erode form. Um, and um, I know um, Achuta has this thing about Sun-Neptune uh, connection specifically in the context of oppositions I think he says that it has like the ability to like erode your sense of identity erode your sense of self mm -hmm. um so it being a you know what I mean like it, but it being a trine that's maybe happening in a way that's like actually like to your advantage to your liking like you get to have a positive experience of um letting yourself be the hanged man with his head like floating in the idea right, of, like the right. in the the mystical Neptunian waters um like you're choosing it right yeah, it's not like, I like that. It's, yeah, I I I often get really tired with Neptune contacts. Just like my body just is like, nope, I'm not gonna do anymore, you know. And it almost forces you to get that kind of like, you know, I guess transcendent quality that they associate with Neptune sometimes. Do you ever get that with Neptune contacts? I'm not sure I've observed that directly, but. Yeah. I'm look out for it now. I, just get, I just get fatigued. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to dissolve into a mass of a lump on the couch type of thing. Right. Like, your ability to be like a solar emitter is just like, you're just like, I'm not sure this is actually my priority, right? Now. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, piggybacking off of what Achuta was saying, he, he also, you know, points the direction to what Robert Schmidt would consider Neptune as a transcendental moon which i thought was interesting like we've got a, a transcendental sun with uranus but this lunar substance versus the animating spirit of the sun 
you know, Neptune is that dissolving into back into universal substance. And maybe that's why my body is like, nope, I'm not going to do anything today because I'm dissolving back into the the uh, prime materia type of thing. So watch out for that on uh, this day. All right. The 13th, um, we're starting to get into some a little bit of some challenging aspectual relationships. Um, here we're seeing Mercury making an opposition with Uranus, uh, which is going to be one of the, you know, a continuation of that new moon opposition. What do you think? What do you got? That's pretty Promethean, because just because it's like Mercury is Promethean to begin with. Um, Like, I really feel that. um, Yeah, with the opposition, it's like kind of the aspect kind of tells you like how the how the theft of fire is going to be received by the collective, right? And in Mm. this case, badly, maybe. Yeah, I I think that our we may have some disruptive communications for sure. Uh, Exchanges. Uh, (laughs) Um, You may some shocking things may come out of your mouth or the mouth of others. Um, Just restless mind. Yeah, like maybe it'll be like a moment in the sort of like mute sign. Thing yeah. where like you get like a lightning bolt understanding of like what you actually want or need to say but like yeah i would watch out for timing on that because with the opposition it could be a little bit tricky <laughs> a little tricky all right now we move forward to november the 15th um we're going to see uh a square between the sun and jupiter oh this is conjoined a fixed star called unakalhi which is uh, at about 22, 23 degrees Scorpio, which is the heart of the serpent in the hands of Ophiuchus, the, uh, the, the healer, Asclepius, right? Um, cool. So that's kind of neat. There's some associations with taming uh, our, I don't know, ser- serpentine natures, or there are some authors that associate the serpent with desire nature. Um, there are others that think of it as transformation and, and you know, with its ability to shed its skin. There's a lot of different angles we could look at serpent mythology with this. Um, I'm seeing this as like Jupiter, Jupiter sun contacts, especially squares, like too much of something, you know, or it's just like, all right, we're, we're having awareness of what we want to bring to order or what we want to expand on. But, you know, there's some challenge involved. What do you think? Um, especially if this ha- is falling in one of the houses that's in charge of like health or doctors or the body for you, this could be a really useful time to seek um, to seek insight, like stellar insight on that. Because um, if you have like, I feel like the serpent is like to me innately connected with like um, with like oracular pursuits like the like the pythoness uh at pythia for example um and i don't know i just feel like that could be a useful like whenever the sun sun and jupiter are my two guys for uh like please bring meaning into my consciousness in a way that comes from above right it's like the if if mercury is our messenger it's like these are the two people that they're just like delivering messages from in a way that i tend to petition towards um so i feel like this could be a great time to ask for like 
just like you know if you if you're having like a pro, like a protracted issue like a square in your life like you'd be like show me the way out of this like like do like a great day to pull some tarot cards if you have that practice or like ask for omens or something like that definitely um, it's kind of a way to like remediate the square a little bit is to just like give it like assign it a square task maybe yeah and maybe there's some conflict in those areas of your life the scorpio and aquarius areas of your life that actually lead to new wisdom new realizations the sun to me lately has been like this big spotlight it says hey here i'm going to shine my light of awareness awareness is the word that i've really gravitated towards with the sun on this area of life and maybe through the awareness of our attachment to old ghosts or forms that will help and it might be difficult but it may help jupiter to release us from the old karmic ties like i think of jupiter as like the actions that we take that will bring us honor and merit you know like it's 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 active whereas like venus is more about like okay you're receiving some good stuff because it's more uh receptive it's lunar you know uh, it's yeah. more 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 about fortune and 2k rather than the diamond or the spirit that you take action from so yeah, I, I would say feel like yeah, go G- ahead Jupiter is like that is like that like silver surfer through the life of meaning right yeah. like if if Venus is like basking in pleasure um I mean then I think that Jupiter would be the like I am taking steps on my path like, you know what I mean? And, the, and what is the path, right? It's the path towards like your personal meaning centered, like orienting yourself towards your North star, like leading the life that's going to be the most rich in knowledge, wisdom, joy, happiness, like that yeah. kind of stuff is all very Jupiterian. And as we, yeah. And with the sun there illuminating what stands in your way, that could be a great a great thing what what aquarian things stand in your way what ideologies right. um have maybe completely what limits maybe even right limiting yeah. thoughts yeah that's a good one what glass with ceilings with the ficus there too i feel like or ophiuchus i feel like it's yeah. a it gives that like a slepian um energy too so there's this really there's this healing thing happening here and i feel like with apollo involved like if you take up if you take like the sun as apollo in this situation Mm-hmm. um like it gives this it's it's psyche healing you know what i mean yeah. uh, as opposed to it necessarily being that lunar oh it's of the body it's like we're healing the psyche in this moment well and think about this too we're we're zeus is aka jupiter is tying up loose ends before he moves into his nocturnal home you know so it's like all right are you gonna release the limiting beliefs the the uh, glass ceilings that will stop you from manifesting from your your spirit you know because i think totally. when, when when jupiter gets into pisces it's like all right go into the matrix and like be neo you know <laughs> like right yeah so, Mo on twitter said this thing too where it's like everybody wants the good jupe juice of of pisces this is astral yeah. tar um mm-hmm. is there is there at but everyone wants the good jupe juice of pisces but nobody wants to to slot to do the work of like figuring out which of these frameworks is actually making it so we're not able to get to that juice oh, right that makes sense well and, and he, thinking about that all, here's all one all other addition i will say to that because that's a really great point um i've read some uh source texts that talk about saturn being the blueprint 
and then Jupiter being the demiurge that creates right. from that blueprint. Yeah, so, I heard that too. So you get clear with what your blueprint is, and then you can go about creating. You know, so use this time period to say what what really is the the ideals that I'm going to be creating from when Jupiter moves into Pisces. Exactly, and, and, like clarifying your intention is right. again this thing. Like, Love it. Like you have to do that work in order to manifest the thing. Yeah. All right, sixteenth. Um, sixteenth, we have a sextile between the Sun and Pluto. Not not a super huge aspect. So I'm going to kind of just skip over that. Um, but there may be some. You know, maybe you'll get an awareness of uh, uh, some of the benefits of, uh, you know, doing the hard work to unclog the toilets of your life, especially when it comes to administrative systems. I think that might be something we could see with that. Um, and if we move forward to the 17th, that actually I do want to address that because on the 17th, we have a Mars um, Uranus opposition. So we're getting the, we have a theme this month. Just like we had the squares between the third deck and Libra planets and, and Pluto, this month, one of the themes is the oppositions between Scorpio II and Uranus in, in uh, Taurus II. And just, just to clarify, Taurus II, is that, that decan is all about the, the rhythms that create fertility, the, the daily habits, the, 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 the hore or the hours, right? The, the forces of nature that are rhythmic. So Uranus is just taking a, a huge giant lightning bolt dump on any <laughs> like routines that we have. And all these plants are going to be activating that like shakeup of our routines. I, I remember there was a, when, um, when Venus made its opposition to Uranus, the power in my house went out and this was right on my IC. Uh, and when we were out, out without power for over 24 hours and I had to completely redo, um, my, uh, I had the uh, live stream with Mercurius George where I was completely out of my element and in like an office building because I didn't have power and it was a real shakeup, right? And uh, it's, um, I think we could see something like that happening again, like a shakeup of our routines. How do you feel like that's going to change given that it's, it's, the Uranus is contacting this like dignified Mars? Like, how do you feel like that? Like the, the level of dignity that the contacted planet has. Yeah, has I think the it's fact that Mars is applying. You know, I've often had this question, and I, and I will toss it back to you for a second. What do you feel about? I've always thought that there's a mixed bag with dignified malefics. I think that they are, you know, more predictable in their maleficence, <laughs> but I don't know if it's always like good. It's like they can wreak more havoc. In, in a dignified yeah, a lot place. Of clients, a lot of clients ask me this question too. And it comes yeah. up in client sessions a think? lot where it's like, where it's like, is it actually good for the native to have yeah. uh, a well-resourced malefic? <laughs> right, um, right. I kind of think about it. Well, let me think about this. <sighs> I feel like when a malefic is well-resourced, it is less cranky. Mm -hmm. um, and that... Um, is my audio good? Sorry, someone just tried yeah, to you're good. You're good. <laughs> All right, cool. Sorry about that. Um, uh, when it's well resourced, it's less cranky. You know what I mean? It's not experiencing yeah. these data, these day to day problems of um, having to like struggle to to do its work, um, and mm. that might make it a little more noble. Um, I think there are noble Martian pursuits like mm. that we've discussed that witnessing. Yeah. Um, 
And I also think the scorpionic intelligence of Mars and Scorpio natives is so like pure. Like they're just like, they're all, they're all like brilliant in this like specific way. Like it feels like a shining ruby um, right. to me. Um, and I feel like that is definitely, but when it turns to malefic ends, right? Then it's like, you don't necessarily want that guy. I don't know. I feel like, yes, I'm going to come out and say, yes. I think that it's more friendly to the native okay. um, to, to have to have a dignified malefic. Yeah, I, th I think that it's definitely more predictable. I, I think that that's, I, I, I think that when we've got a malefic in it, like like we've had with Libra, like Mars will manifest in really weird ways that are, you know, not normal martial ways, like maybe passive aggressive ways or, you know, separating us from things that are usually sources of harmony. Um, yeah, I, I think that one thing Schmidt says with this, I, I really like leaning on Robert Schmidt. He's a genius. It uh, yeah. is sometimes the dignified malefic can bring the native good fortune from difficult circumstances. At the expense of others. Right, yeah, Chris Brennan others. brought this up yeah. on his, in his Norwalk talk. And, and gosh, I've noticed that. I have a dignified Saturn and it's like the pandemic, for example, like enabled me to like launch my full-time astrological practice, right? I have, mm. I have a dignity, I have a dignified Saturn in the second house. Yeah. Uh, so like my, like my, my resource situation what I like time as a resource in the second house mm -hmm. that changed in a way that allowed me to do something really productive and useful for me um, yeah. inside a context that is objectively garbage <laughs> well well so so think about this let's bring it back to this aspect here maybe there's something shocking a, a shocking separation right that eventually leads to good fortune that that by getting outside of your own shaking up your own routine you find that you can benefit and distill essence down from something. But it may feel a little bit disruptive at first, for sure, and maybe even feel violent. But but it, eventually it could lead to some kind of new awareness, realization, uh, new new partnership type of thing. Uh, it may even be a, a separation from a partnership, though, because this is yeah, the other thing. That. That's ultimately actually useful, but kind of plays into your third house or third decan sun. Right, right. Because think about the planets, like they're going to still be themselves in each of these decans. So Mars is going to maybe create either conflict or separation from the themes associated with that decan. So maybe there's a separation from a toxic person or something that that is an energy vampire and you finally get liberation from that and that brings you benefits. Yeah. Right. So something Mars of that is kind nature. of like Mars is like, I think we have something better to do with this energy. Right, right. Like, exactly. I feel like that's what he what he might say to you. For sure. Um, I'm checking the chat box here. Thank you all for sticking with us. You all are troopers. We're doing our marathon session today. I think we're hitting hour number two here. So we'll keep, thank you for, for hanging out with us. Uh, Zachary Powell is here and saying that was a great way to, to, to talk about Mars Hawk. Um, and the astrology Kira is saying that someone with both malefics dignified in their preferred signs. I totally agree. So we're getting confirmation with someone who's living this, uh, on, yeah, on the, the way that we've been. Are more useful to you. And I see that with you, Kira, all the time, right? Like you are such a powerhouse, right? And I feel like that Mars, obviously there are, there are downsides, but like that dignified Mars is just like, like you can, you can just do so much and you've like constructed like almost like a, like a kingdom, you know what I mean? Like, and just yeah. like you're wielding your skill. 
Um, All right. Yeah. As we, as we take our collective breath here before we go down the home stretch, if if uh, if you are enjoying this video, make sure you hit that like button. If you're new to the channel, you can subscribe uh, and hit that notification bell. That always is helpful. It helps the, the algorithm if you hit that like button. Um, so appreciative of all the new people that I'm seeing here in the chat today. And make sure that you follow the links for Hawk's work as well um, at the studentofthestars.wordpress.com. Is that correct? Did I get that all correct? We're going to just drop it like this. Drop it in the Slash Astrohawk. For sure. All right, so let's keep rolling. We we ready? Can we get our catch our collective breath here? So this yeah, is bringing I us. You, I might let you take this next day and just pop into the restroom real quick <laughs> okay, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, yeah, you might have to return the favor to me in a minute. So. Awesome, let's do it. <laughs> All right, I believe right. in you. So I'm going to talk here about the 18th of November, um, and this is you know we've got a, a Mercury Neptune trine, so Mercury is going to be trining that retrograde Neptune in Pisces. So again, some of the themes about maybe, you know, Kira earlier was talking about that Neptune may have this feeling of like this opiate feeling uh, where, you know, you're, you're taking a substance and it may shift your sense of reality. And I think that that might be something we're experiencing here on the 18th as well. Um, so be careful with details on this day. If you're doing something that is very involved or requires detailed work, you may want to save that for another day. But this could be a great day for doing something meditative, uh, doing some sort of artistic thing, um, maybe just checking out for a little while and taking a break after some of these challenging aspects that we've been dealing with. Um, and this is going to bring us to the lunar eclipse on the 19th. And I'll, I think I'll wait a little bit to, to talk about this because I want to get Hawk's thoughts on this because this is such a big part in the cycle. But uh, if you are, uh, have any questions in the chat, um, throw them in there. I've got a little bit of like a 20 second delay on the chat, so we'll see them in a minute. Um, but Abraham is saying that, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Rather than being above my reading level, so I'm flagging, I'm warring on. Thank you, Abraham, for being here. Thank you for, for sticking with us. Um, Abraham, that's great Scorpio energy too, I feel like. Yeah, it's it says like war, we, we like both seem persistent. to be mutable. <laughs> are we both mutable risings? No, uh, you are, right? I am, yeah. We're both fire risings, so we are. We, our fires are inspiring each other. I'm a Leo ascendant, but I have a lot of mutable planets in my chart. I have a, a Virgo stellium in the second, and a Cancer Sun in the twelfth, and a, a Taurus Moon in the tenth, and all of that is uh, all that Virgo stuff is squaring a Venus and Gemini in the eleventh house. So I, I very mercurial uh, when it comes to some of this stuff. Yeah, um, I have Mercury ruled angles. Yeah, and I was telling Hawk earlier that I, I make a crazy amount of notes. I, I'm super extra about this. Like, my I was very intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> my normal two pages of notes somehow bl bloomed into five this time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get through all of it. But I think it's really Venus and Gemini helps me explore all these different pathways. And then the square with Virgo says, okay, now I have to distill it into essence. So I don't always use all the notes that I have. But I would rather be over prepared so I can fill space if, if a, you know, a guest doesn't necessarily have a thought on a particular thing while also holding space. And, you know, you've been awesome today, Hawk. You really know your stuff. And I'm really, really so happy that you've been Thanks. able to, to join us today. So thank you again for, for coming today. So should we do, do the last um, 
30 yes, minutes I'm here so or so. About this, <laughs> like, about this eclipse. We can get through it in this, 30 this to 40 minutes. This eclipse is the last thing I have like a lot to say on. So I think okay. as fast as you want to go through the stuff that happens okay. after this, I'm totally aware right. you. I won't be disappointed. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I don't have anywhere to be, but I just, I don't, I, I, as long as we are still keeping people's attention. So what do you got for this eclipse? Um, okay. November 19, a partial lunar eclipse. Venus has perfected her trying to Uranus. Let me just make sure that's true. Yep. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Mars is training, uh, Mars is sextiling Venus from Scorpio, right? Um, so yes. that is that is still happening. This is actually, it's like a crazy configuration. It's like a lot yeah. going on. Um, Vesta is conjoined that south node at one degree um, Sagittarius at this point. Okay. And the north node, the moon is smack on Al Goal. So that was, Oof, that's yeah. a lot of shit that I just yeah. said. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that, you said a Mars, a Mars sextile Venus, and then what else do we have here? Did I miss one aspect? Uh, Vesta's down there on the okay. south node. I don't have Vesta on the chart here, that's but okay. I'll take I, your word I, for it. I'll remember she's there. It's yeah. like... <laughs> Just imagine her sitting in the cup of the South Node. Yeah, and we just are coming off the Mars Uranus opposition. Um, totally. So yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to think about that too. Is like maybe it's like it breaks something loose for this this right. like greater purification. Because like what is a what is an eclipse, right? Uh, the the head of the dragon Rahu, the North Node, is going mm -hmm. to partially swallow. Um, swallow the moon right yeah. and the, the moon in traditional hellenistic signification is um fate fortune the body um the realm of coming to be and passing away as our mm. teacher says um, yeah. things that things that we can't necessarily exert our solar will on our bodily limitations all of that stuff um the community too like the things that hold us um, and so I think when the, when, when a node eats, right, that thing, it loses power kind mm. of to, to the opposing force, right, to the sun. And the sun is like the Apollonian layover that we put on the primordial chaos of reality, right? It's like yeah. the way that we, the way that we understand things, the way that we self-actualize it'd be like, I am actually not just part of the waving menstruum of manifestation i am an individual node and we're right. gonna go this way you know and then like like fate like shifts you know what i mean it's the free will um so i think that we see an unusual balance on lunar eclipses when in, in that regard like it's actually it's almost a time where like the sun gains a little bit of like um power but so close to the south node it's like it's like it's yeah. it's it's like a it's a purified rarefied potentially a, a power that involves loss a dream um, right yeah exactly i don't mean that anybody's gonna like you know like die or anything but like yeah. somebody's gonna um, die yeah, ben, <laughs> uh, for sure someone day. will definitely yeah. someone will definitely <laughs> die on this day <laughs> many someone's probably right. um yeah. yeah and you know i love what you're saying about the you know the power outage potentially of the south node you know, in addition to thinking of those nodal axes as a severed head of a dragon for the north node that is hungry, yeah. we have a, a severed body of that dragon that is processing. And 
we're going to see a number of planets, the Sun, Mercury, and Mars, all pass through this south node where we're going to be processing and releasing old belief systems before the Nord, no, the Nord, before the Nord <laughs> changes, <laughs> before the node changes into uh, Scorpio and Taurus. So I, I really think that this is this is definitely a, a culmination and ending. Um, I think it's it's important because the Sun is close to that South Node. I think this is a releasing of old form. Yeah, I think it's it releasing what the sun is focused on right like what that apollonian manifestation is interested in doing totally old desires and that the moon is hanging out in a decan that is associated with the story of eight and the litai eight roughly translating to ruin the litai roughly translating to prayer or repentant prayer so i think the the, the, the caution i would give people with this is through letting go of old forms and old desires you may be a little bit rash about it which is what the eight says and you may feel a little bit destabilized and i think what is required is patience maybe even if that's patience with yourself um and saying that you know it's important not to lose your head algal style yeah, right because totally. it's increasing with you may really feel like very algal you may feel very, maybe even defensive too, because Algol is a very protective star also. Um, it does have some significations with feminine power as well. I think there's an alternative take with Algol. Maybe you can expand on that as well with your yeah, magic practice. Some, I have some thoughts on that. And what you yes. were saying too about like letting go of, I, I, ha, I actually had some thoughts after my patron, uh, my patron's Jupiter mm -hmm. uh, rit ritual for my Patreon like yesterday that, that like right after that, I had this lunch just last night, I had this um, extended thought about um, the process of self of self transformation and how there can it can be connected to self harm. Um, mm. With regards to your attitude about why you should let something go right as like spiritual people like people who are involved in like the inner work. Um, I think it's really easy to be like, Oh God, I'm constantly supposed to be like letting this shit go. I'm constantly supposed to be shifting, ascending, like leveling up, like doing all this fucking changing. Yeah. And I think that some of that is just reskinned. Um, humanity has fallen, right? Like mm. you incarnate, you incarnated immediately into a situation that is bad for some reason. And now right. it's your job to become not bad, right? Mm. Um, but I still believe in transformation. I still believe in shifting and changing. And I believe that there, in, that there are many outmoded things that need to be consistently sloughed up. So I just want to make sure that there's like a purity of intent here, that it's like, it's like you want only slough off the things that are, that you've decided need to go because they're bothering you because you fucking hate them. Not because you think that like, not because like you're getting pressure, like, oh, I shouldn't want this. Like, I'm, so I need to let that go. You know what I mean? Desires that don't necessarily line up with what like society says you ought to want. Like those can stay. You know, it doesn't have to be like an act of self-harm where we're like trying to force ourselves like to like cut to like cut it off, to like mm. remove our like nature in some way that's like not in line with our nature. This is a thought that this is something I struggle with with spiritual traditions sometimes. And the the maybe this is my Taurus moon talking, but I have some challenges with thinking that oh we're just fallen <laughs> like yeah. everything we're doing is like bad and we just need to like be the complete be these complete ascetics you know i, I 
there has to be some reason why we're here and it, some of totally. it has some joy with it <laughs> like it's not I just... think some of this some of this too is like what happens when you get eastern philosophy um yeah like titrated to you through the lens or received in a vessel that looks like protestantism right you know what i mean yeah it's like totally. people are like oh okay we're like we're like surrendering the self right mm. oh that lines up with my belief that like humanity is intrinsically fallen like we're obviously trying to get away from this mm. place whereas like inside of like the context of zen buddhism i have like a a, de a half decent understanding mm. of and it's just it's not um it doesn't denigrate the individual it doesn't denigrate the human experience it just it just exalts oneness as a concept which yeah, I, is and, and I, yeah. I i agree 100 and i think that if if there was a spiritual philosophy that i gravitate towards it would be Taoism, and, and i and i think that the, the the themes of balance are really intrinsic in that maybe this is my pluto and libra talking but it, it, i think that to me it's representative of natural forces of increase and decrease mm. and temperance i think is something that i aspire to personally and that being the the achemical mixture of like refining i mean yeah yeah it doesn't doesn't mean that everything you like desire nature isn't necessarily bad i think that it can right. le lead to to uh unethical things but it can also lead to like ch change you know, yeah, but like you don't want to be led around by your ass end, right? But like, right, but right. yeah, exactly. There's plenty of other things you can do. I think detachment is is definitely important uh, thing, but I think that can be carried to an extreme as well. If we come become totally detached, then that that carries its own problems, right? That carries its own quote unquote sins. Absolutely, <laughs> like, exactly. Right? And like in Eastern yeah. philosophy, right? It's like it's an it's non-dual. Like Zen, I'll only right. speak to Zen Buddhism because that's the one that I know half a half a thing about. Yeah. It's like it's like it's it's literally non-dual, right? Like the Diamond Sutra is like it's not like things are one way. It should be the opposite way. Like you are a manifest being. You should be you should submit to right. the all to the all, right? It's like it's neither. It's it's non-dual, right? It's like yeah. we're breaking out of this like good evil binary. Um, yeah. and like transcending it into what is like what truly is that like nuanced real field of reality right and and in in Taoist philosophy you're always planting the seed of its opposite when you go to an extreme so you see that play out in nature all the time too and i think that's actually a really good um image for an eclipse because we see something come to its fruition or maybe even to its extreme and the seed of the opposite is planted within the solar lunar relationship so if we look back on the new moon that we had here we were planting a seed of deep intimate union right and now we have its opposite planted here it's opposite coming to fruition of maybe an individuality maybe uh you know releasing form okay because we're, we're seeing the manifestation of the physical part of the, the emotional union and i don't know i, I just think this is going to be a big one as far as uh, learning how to come to terms with what is needs to be returned right like what, that's really the theme yeah, we've been talking like, about with november is what needs to be like returned. put it on put it on the altar like right yeah. like that's like that's like like i'm seeing this really spiritual side 
to this transit, especially like Vesta on the South Node really like gives yeah. me this image of um, the sacred, like the sacred fire tenders, right? Um, mm -hmm. Feeding things into the fire, right? Because yeah. it's like this purifying nature of the South Node and, and the like Vesta's priestesses are like not afraid of that of of the south node like taking something away right and it's like they ex like they like they'll accept it you know what i mean it well, doesn't and, have to be this struggle and in, in eastern uh astrology or in like jyotisha they they really like the south node they're like this is you know i right, don't know it's if it's purifying right they're like this isn't bad like they, they've totally flipped the script in evolutionary astrology where like oh you have to grow towards your north node you're, and, you're supposed to get away from it right right like and yeah so think that, about that. That, that is your, you know, South Node is releasing attachment. And I think that's part of the, the Zen Buddhist kind of philosophy as well, or the, you know, I don't know, some of the other spiritual practices is, you know, you can be in the world, but not of it. You can still participate in these bodies without being ruled by it. And that's where the balance comes in, right? I think that that's, yeah. that may be the, some of the themes that we see here too, is that how do we be incarnated in a body without having it be have complete power over us because we have will because we have consciousness because we are eternal spirit souls and 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 that balance is going to be really uh highlighted at this at this eclipse so again another just practical thing don't charge your crystals on eclipses <laughs> like i i mean stuff like that i don't uh I always close shop when eclipses happen. I, I close the blinds and like, you know, I'm just like do my rituals around that period of time. And, you know, I try not to get, do too many things on those days. Do you have anything like this that you do any ritual practice for eclipses? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I take a slightly, um, I'm, my spiritual practice is very much like moving with the times. Yeah. Um, so like as time, as like moments in time occur, like my practice is to sit with in devotion and intimacy, like with the moment, basically, mm -hmm. that's like basically the whole thing. Um, <laughs> uh, and like, I think of like my magical practice is like training me to be in greater intimacy with the present yeah. moment. And so when things like this happen that are sort of like, objectively scary um as people find eclipses um and definitely they can for, like represent um disruptions i i think it's not a good time to try and manifest your will onto the world because it's right. an uncontrolled power and god knows what form it will take sure. um but i do tend to sit softly with it and i think this one i feel like you know like i'll, I'll also bathe myself in salt regularly to try and like um definitely bring in some of too. that pure some of that purification mm. um i'm i'm seeing like the sun coming into like about to cross the south node right mm -hmm. so it's like it's like vesta is like preparing almost this space for us to like when we're gonna like cross and like have to like and like release something right. um right. of the self and like something is going to be born out of that um, so yeah, I just devote like devotional practice. Don't, I wouldn't ask if you're, especially if you're a beginner, if you're not a beginner, you can ignore what I'm saying, obviously, but, if, <laughs> but if you're a beginner, like I wouldn't ask for anything on an eclipse, mm -hmm. except for just like gentle awareness. 
and to be nice to you about yeah. it. And you know, and I really, a, a part of this, the, the host of this moon is that Venus that's making the trine to Uranus too. Yeah, so just that. doing something new, you know, and like really like shaking it up like Venusian ways. What, what do you think about that? If we bring so that into is, the conversation. This is the Athena leaps out of Zeus's head moment to me. Okay. Like that, I'm, I'm really seeing that. Um, Cause yeah, she's in Capricorn, like, Hephaestus, right, uh, is is this, uh, I know Zachary is going to, might have an opinion about whether Hephaestus can be Mars in um, in Scorpio when, and there are good counter arguments for it, but just for the sake of this narrative, we're gone for it, right? Like Hephaestus, right, strikes the head of Zeus in this sextile to Venus, and then she leaps, right, like out of his head, springs forth fully formed, mm. um, like, I really like, I, I feel that. And her Aegis, right? Athena's shield bears what? The head of a Gorgon. Um, and the moon is the moon is conjoined Algol. Um, yeah. So I feel like there's definitely this Athena Medusa mm. dynamic happening here. Um, yeah, let's just talk about that for a second. Because there's a lot of like confusing stuff around this where it's like, did Medusa... Why did Athena help Perseus kill Medusa? Like, why did that, why did that happen? Like, so my, you know what I mean? Yeah. My understanding is the basic, and you can you, feel free to add or correct or anything, but so hmm. Medusa was a priestess in Hera's temple or Athena's temple. Yeah. So she was current, I think she was occupying Athena's temple at that moment. Okay. Yeah. And then she was for, raped basically, right? By Poseidon? Yes, I also think it's Poseidon. I have a okay. similar question <laughs> so, about that detail. But I'm right. sorry, Poseidon, if we're wrong. And then she got blamed by Athena or whoever the goddess his temple was. And yeah, it was definitely it's definitely Athena's temple. Okay. And then Athena, like her her wrath, right, was to turn her into this monster and this gorgon. So right. you can even see like, you know, Medusa being a uh, you know, victim on this on some level here too. Like, like, and but then also ha being becoming empowered. Like her, her, her wrath was like she would turn people into stone. Like anyone who would gaze upon her would be turned to stone. And she has symbols with snakes and transformation yeah. and with healing and things and like that. Um, and snakes are a common symbol. They've been at least pinned in recent in recent years to Scorpio. And, and I wonder too, like th there's a, a, a bit of a more of a, a feminist perspective on the myth where maybe Athena Absolutely, gave her yeah. this gift to protect yeah. her from like being ravaged. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm I, saying? I hear that. I, that's yeah. definitely, that's a thing. I mean, like that's a myth that's entered the collective consciousness right. is that interpretation. And I see it in my head, right? Where it's like Medusa is like, is like crouched down on the floor of Athena's temple and, um, Athena like wraps like her like owl wings right around her in protection mm -hmm. right and transfigures her um like at her request you know what I mean uh yeah. and so that's one that's definitely one one myth to think with while we're experiencing um this transit um and then there's this yeah so I really yeah, I think Gabe, that's really interesting. Gabe is talking then, about that this was Ovid's version, um, which is Roman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a second one, right? Is maybe what you're referring to, which is that mm. she she was always um, 
she was always a Gorgon. Like she was born a Gorgon. Like none of right. this transfiguration happened at all. And right. Athena crosses paths with Medusa in the moment when she helps Perseus uh, behead her. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that, that just all the different context for the myths definitely uh, colors the yes. the experience of it. And that's something I've definitely found in my Deccan webinar research is that there's so many different lenses to view all these symbols through. Totally. And you really it's have like to understand. It's like we get to story weaved. Right, yeah, you have to understand like the context. The, turning and, the jewel a different way. And I wonder if the, the point that Gabe is making about the Roman context is that it was definitely a little bit more of a patriarchal, you know, take on that myth as well. Um, and I wonder if there is a more uh, balanced take with other other source texts or things like that. So I, I'd be curious to hear Gabe's thoughts on that as well. But um, Cliff, Cliff brought we... up something that I that I is actually in my notes um, yeah. that like uh, a severing of both the destructive relationship from one generation to the next, which rectifies mm. Zeus's relationship with his father. But um, the real the bit that I'm catching on here is so here we have a long term thinking daughter of Zeus manifesting as Venus in Capricorn. Interesting. Um, I love that about her being long thinking because with, uh, aside from like being very proficient in war, um, mm. Venus, I mean, uh, Athena is extremely wise. She's like the wisest of them all. Right. Um, and she's like sought after for her wisdom. Uh, and so I like this inside the structure of Saturn's sign because Athena is like not really interested in actually going against the order of the Olympians, as far as I know. She's mm -hmm. just like, she is like an exactor of will. And there's this interesting dynamic where it's like, she's, it's like, she's not, if we see Medusa as this like feminist figure, right? Athena, right? Help Perseus like, like kill her, right? And it's because yeah. like, she's not, she doesn't hold these, she doesn't have an ideological alignment towards the liberation of Medusa, right? She, mm. Perseus is her, is her guy. Like it's one of her chosen yeah. humans, her heroes, right? So, yeah. and he, Perseus has a long-term devotional relationship to her, right? They have like an agreement. He gets sent on a suicide mission by the king to bring back Medusa's head. Like the king is like, yeah, uh, go out and kill Medusa. I'm going to stay here and try and fuck your mom, literally. <laughs> um, and so yeah. <laughs> Athena is like, is like, all right, bro, we're going to help you out in this experience. Yeah. And so I think we see her acting inside of the context of like the great, um, like the great narrative that we exist in. Like we kind of exist in this myth structure, right? Where like we have mm. the great heroes and we have like Zeus and like all this stuff. She's, she's an agent of that, right? She's assisting the heroes. She enforces wisdom, right? The distilled value, right? Of, of knowledge. Well, isn't it interesting I, I, too? It's just like an interesting dynamic because it, it's like we want to make her a feminist figure, right? Yeah. As being like a, a woman doing a man's thing. You know what right. I mean? But it's like she almost doesn't care about that. Like she just doesn't really care about that. So so Big Bad Biff, which, who is, that's Cliff, right? Yeah, Cliff. Uh, saying that there's a prophecy that if she was born a male, she was to overthrow Zeus. And you know, yeah. you can't have Zeus being overthrown. And then Gabe yeah, is bringing in a follow-up saying, one maybe more platonic take would be that since Gorgons, while monstrous, are also apotropaic in general, basically monsters that protect people from other monsters. 
Oh, That's fascinating. Interesting. And you know, it, one thing that was coming up when you were talking about Athena is Athena was the basically the I feel like the puppet master of this whole drama, right? She turned Medusa into the Gorgon, but then also facilitated Perseus's slaying of the Gorgon. Yeah, right? if you if you take it to be like she did the first thing, then yeah, for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's just a thing where like you're like, oh my gosh, like you're a victim and I will protect you, but then there's also like, but also this is my dude. Like, sorry. Right like yeah. you know what i mean it's not like it's like she's not ideologically aligning yeah one and, way and that, that's like common with it. myth too there isn't I, I don't think that they in greek mythology or even the romanized versions that there was this uh, attachment to like black or white thinking or like moralistic their, their their way of viewing morals was much more gray you know there was a lot of gray area with that and i think that we see that come out in a lot of these myths that they're very human you know it's not like this like oh totally. you have to be this de deified version or idealized version but right uh, like they have wills of their own they have wills of their own that like are unique in their personality like i, I don't know it's like i i i'm so surprised every time i interface with athena yeah I, I, she's so like 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 upstanding you know what i mean it's like i don't really quite know how to say it but it feels like she is her working inside of capricorn as venus and capricorn is really feels like almost like an enforcement of order right. um in in some way well gabe gabe is adding says so the whole perseus beheading medusa with athena's help is more a matter of the god helping the hero use the apotropaic power of medusa as if it emanates from athena to perseus that's, yeah, yeah that makes I like that i love that and i love that for a greater eclipse thing too right because it's like we have this i'm we have her with her shield right like the yeah. the imagery of her wielding wielding the because there's a there's a beheading right it's like it's on it's on algal it's on like rahu right like right. rahu can join algal as this double header uh, of of beheadedness right like because like Rahu is the head without a tail, without a body, right. and Al Gol is obviously like the head of the Gorgon. It's literally like Medusa. All right. So I want you to return the the potty break favor here and expand on that. And if there's questions from the chat, maybe there are things that they can add to this story. Um, if people have experiences with their lunar eclipse, and I will be back in one second. Sound good? Totally. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, um, Zachary says, I love the way you're talking about this because I see it in my devotional practice where the gods are just not interested in our morals about things. Yes, exactly. And I don't want it to seem like I'm being, I'm not pro-feminism by saying this about Athena, a deity that I work with. I was actually surprised to like learn this about her. I was really expecting um, to get this vibe off of her that was more because I because you know because I sort of saw her as like the protector of Medusa like that kind of vibe um but that's just something that she did because it was like morally right you know what I mean she's not going to get like slotted into yeah I, I don't know um yeah exactly um Zachary says thinking of the story of Perseus being a devotee of Athena and her helping him with the issue he's trying to solve and I think we can see that like like I want to embody that Perseus role right not in that I would beheaded Medusa but like I kind of if we see them all as not having um 
like individual will and like operating as like this like story tapestry. I don't know. There's also this really interesting thought too, where it's like, because it's, we're eating this, the moon, we're like losing fate circumstances. Um, taking this action, right. Of like beheading. That's like, uh, it's like an act of will, but the act of will is a severing, right. Cause it's solar, but it's the sun approaching the South node and we have the double header beheading um imagery um but with venus trining uranus it's like it's from this place of like wisdom and yeah i also love the story of perseus being a devotee of athena that's this really changed for me understanding what it means to be patroned by a god right until i was actually listening to circe which is an amazing book i was listening to it on tape um about uh the story of circe uh, definitely check that out if you're a fan of Greek mythology. Um, yeah, just the experience of like, of being patroned by a deity, like they're, they're walking with you for your entire life, basically. Like, it's like, you're their guy. Um, one of their emissaries on earth, one of their pawns. And I say that in not a derogatory way. Like, I just mean like, you're like one of their pieces that they're able to move because you've consensually entered into this agreement. Like if Athena has a will to enact on earth, you have consented, right, to be like, to be like, yeah, you can think about me as a thing you can move, right? Nice. Yeah, this is, welcome back, Spencer. All right, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> this is a marathon one. It's such a relief, right? You're just like, yeah. yeah. So good. Uh, so, so like, I love this. And, and I'm, I'm not ashamed that this one's going long because, you know, Hawk, one of the things I like about talking with you is you're really knowledgeable about the myth the fixed stars and we get to kind of nerd out on on some of the stories and that's kind of part of the reason it's this is going longer today because i think we're just really excited about sharing these stories and hopefully yeah, totally it's more of like a a seminar than just a forecast i think here right yeah so, definitely i'm definitely feeling like the ability to like let myth like come through in this oh, i really love hard. it that's, that's some of my favorite parts of astrology is is being able to connect the stories and being able to see some of those archetypal themes playing out um, just through the, I don't know, interesting interplay of, you know, human experience, you know, it's, it's really cool. Okay, so we feel like we've got a pretty good experience with the, the full moon eclipse. I guess my final thought on that is that the Litai are the women that follow, the, the old women that follow behind eight, which is Ruin, who was very hasty offering up repentant prayers so if you do end oh, up shit. losing your head or like you know lose getting angry or doing something rash the power of prayer the power of acceptance um can help you through this period of time um, i think that's really important to keep in mind when you are going through this this uh, eclipse energy i love that too and we're talking about such a morally ambiguous decision as like beheading medusa right it's like sometimes yeah. you do things that aren't actually necessarily good at all and you're not stoked on it for sure this this is this eclipse has potential to be very spicy where we could just you know lose ourselves and not not be in control and i think that if we know going into it that we have that potential and we, we double down on our meditative practices that help keep yeah. us in balance and in equilibrium. Exactly. I think that's really the key. You There's know? so much here if we turn to the spiritual for this, I think. Absolutely. I don't know what the hell it's going to be like manifesting outside on reality. I'll be interested to see. But... Well, and I love your, your salt bath uh, practice because... God, it really helps. I don't I, like... 
Yeah, and Caitlin Kopic of Sphere and Sundry has a right. great um, guide for what you sh- what you ought to do bodily and spiritually for eclipses, and like a nice way to like remediate eclipses. So if you just Google Sphere and Sundry eclipse remediation, it'll for sure come up. Absolutely, do your do your um, Rahu or K two uh, ritual potentially, um, and and you know the, the other thing about the salt is it just helps these energies not stick to you. I think that that's the the real benefit of the salt is and it's that it's, scorpio thing it's like decomposes it faster yeah. like when you want to when you want to rot down a corpse like totally. you cover it in salt there you go there you go <laughs> all right so moving on from the the eclipse on the 19th um Whew. yeah that was yeah we've got i was really excited about that one i had a lot to like deep dives about. deep dives here so if we go to the 20th of november we do see a square between mercury and jupiter so this is you know, interesting because we had the trine at the very beginning of the month between these two planets, and now Mercury has moved far enough that we're seeing that same energy, but in square form, um, but just from a different, a completely different house. So, you know, some things that may have been functioning when Mercury was moving through Libra may be a little bit more difficult. Like the conversations get a little bit more intense, a little bit more emotional, the, the gloves come off potentially and uh, we have to get to the core of something and that that could be a little painful sometimes right um big picture stuff too like talking like having hard combos about big picture shit yeah Um, like if this were to transpire in a relationship right this would be like a is where we're going actually working talk like you know what i mean yeah for sure Um, trying to untie those karmic knots that we were talking about with with jupiter and in aquarius um, one Wait. other note I put in there was cr- crude sentiments with Mercury in this decan or sewer Ooh. thoughts. <laughs> like, so like <laughs> your brain going to like the, the deepest, darkest, you know, corners, but, but for the purpose of releasing and for the purpose of embracing the unknown and, and moving out into the new territory. Right. Hermes Cathanios might be a helpful deity to walk with yeah. as uh, he makes this transit. Love that. I love it. We move forward um, to the... One- Go ahead. One other quick thing about a square, yeah. especially when a benefic is involved. Um, I think, I know we don't usually talk about remediating specific aspects, but my thing about, reme- I have a thing about remediating squares, right? Mm-hmm. It's no good if y'all are, if you're two people and you're moving like this, right? What you need right. to do is to find a third point, right? In the distance to fix on. And then you become nice. like a team, like a chariot team, right? Pulling something. So if that relationship talk happens, throw right. the spear find the point in the direction find the point like on the horizon where you're both trying to pull the cart towards and in this case what would you say that that point is well i think it's quite individual and it should be discerned by meditating on what brings you the most meaning mm. in life and it's classic satirizing answer <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it um if we move forward to the next day we have just a, a sextile between mercury and pluto so maybe after the difficulty conversation or the difficult conversation with jupiter we have some sort of unearthing of corruption that helps us move forward and helps us resystemize on some level um and then i'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one here but once we get to the 21st, uh, the sun is going to move into Sagittarius. So this is a big moment where we're getting the, the solar ingress into Sagittarius here. We're, you know, it's leaving Mars's house. It's moving into Jupiter's domain. It's also, and this is important, right as the sun moves into Sagittarius, 
the heliacal rise of Mars happens. So the sun conjoins the south node, Mars rises from the beams and is visible again. Uh, and this is a phasis moment. This is what Schmidt calls phasis, where it's an tell omen that speaks. That. What's that? I said, tell me about that. Yeah, the so a phasis moment. moment is an omen that speaks louder than other some other things potentially. So I went back and did some research on like, you know, the heliacal risings of Saturn, Mars, and things like that. Like, you know, with, with Saturn, there was a whole bunch of stuff around the January 6th stuff when, you know, you had the Kazemi and then right. like charges were filed when Saturn became visible. When Saturn made its heliacal setting, that's when they, we had the whole like storming of the Capitol type of thing. There's all sorts of like connections with that. And I think at Mars, you know, can give us a sense of, what are some of the new conflicts potentially that will require us to be warriors that will require us to utilize the positive side of mars the courage the the listening skills the ability to go towards a goal and things of that nature and and i want everybody to kind of think back to what you what seed was planted on october the 8th at, when mars was at 15 degrees of libra and in in both of those planets were either in detriment or in fall and whatever was planted there you're going to see some kind of realization of that some beginning uh, that becomes visible and it's very powerful mars um i was talking to another astrologer that thought this would be like war happening and i was like well, i'm not gonna warmonger but but i do think that, that <laughs> like i'm not ready to go there yeah no, i'm not re i'm not ready to go there either um, but i do think that there's a lot of really it, let's just come, go from a bigger picture perspective. There's a lot of things happening in, in America um, around voting rights, around, uh, you know, body rights, around, um, you know, the, the way that we distribute resources and land, as you were talking about earlier. And there's been kind of this gridlock through, for a lot of it because we have yeah, this. It does feel that way. Yeah, we with have this, a split Congress. Exactly. So, so I think that there may be some kind of moment where, because remember, second deck in Libra was about contracts and oaths and agreements. And it, it, I think we, we were, unfortunately, that was a moment where whatever contract we're trying to, to commit okay. to, yeah, is, is not going to work. And I know that there's some people that were afraid that we're going to have a government shutdown or something. And they actually did uh push they kicked that can down the road to the eclipse <laughs> like, oh God. like it was supposed to be on that that new moon or whatever um but then they kicked it down the can to the eclipse so so we'll see but i do think that that whatever conflicts that you are dealing with or martial types of things are going to be become visible like you're going to know what you're going to need to fight for when mars makes its heliacal rise and i just think that this is something that astrologers yes. need to pay attention to quite a bit more is the the synodic appearances of planets because i found time and time again that it just it, it really like really important moments happen during these these heliacal risings and settings and and whatnot um yeah i like what that we mentioned like the protracted state of congress because it's like with him still in that square to saturn it's like two malefic forces that both are in their dignity like they both are resourced Right. Just like gridlocked. Totally. And, and you know, it, with the square of Saturn and Mars, like you were saying, like it's 
rock in a hard place, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's like the rock is on fire uh, and, 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 uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So right. that's, uh, that's a good way to put it actually. Um, so another thing that I just wanted to cover as we move forward here, the sun moving into Sagittarius one, we didn't really get too deep into that, but uh, that is called, uh, swiftness in book T and book of Toth. Uh, the, the daimon associated with it is loimos. We talked about that with the the plague. It was a daimon of plague, so contagious, whether enthusiasm or contagious dogma or propaganda, it could be both. Um, that's something to keep in mind with this this phase of Sagittarius. This is a yeah, liberated spirit, right? I was going to say that Sagittarius can be a little, when you mentioned war, I was like, it can be a little bit jingoistic up in Sagittarius just because Jupiter, right, is just like, holds itself in a very positive light, right? right. Very much so. Like uh, arrogance is, is a downside of it. it it's it's sure. I it's kind of like I said it, so I'm going to stick to it kind of thing. Yeah. Rather than Mercury's signs would say, well, what about this? Let's question this. Let's let's cast this into doubt. Jupiter is very much saying, I know. So it must totally. be right. So be careful How of that. How do you feel about it coming straight out the gate onto the south node? <sighs> Yeah, I think that it's going to be really, really important to to release that I know energy and That's ask so questions. True. You know, I think that we could run into a lot of problems if we really try to um, create an identity or uh, some kind of power play around a belief system that is no longer vital. I think that that we to be able to move forward with new structuring, we have to re release old jupiterian beliefs, beliefs. Yeah. like so so that's that, been getting that from jupiter and in, in saturn sign like right. literally the entire transit so i love that there's this opportunity to really put your money where your mouth is on it like it's like it's like a, a culminating one yes. for that Absolutely. i can't emphasize enough the importance of like taking a spiritual approach to transits to the south node it mm. can be really hard otherwise it like feels like someone's like taking something from you like right. like on a, like on a spiritual level like um so i feel like spending a lot of time just like in contemplation like approaching it from a place of like of co-creation with the universe where you're just like what is it what are what is it what are we what are we cleansing like tell like let me in on the secret and like maybe i'll help like you know what i mean like that kind of yeah you're trying to help it do its job and you have to become more receptive because your your personal will might not be as strong at this period of time and like coming yeah. to terms with the fact that again that sometimes energy comes into this dimension or plane of existence and sometimes it has to leave if it yeah. didn't leave it would get stagnant and we would be stuck and that would lead we would to hate it here yeah we wouldn't like it so the, the, the accepting change i think is a really important thing with the south node too and accepting that we have to live into the answers and we don't always have to have it all figured out right away either that's, I think that's, yeah, what I think that's a great point. Seeing that, things from multiple perspectives. Like it's, not about, it's not about your will. It's not about like what you think, even what I just said, it's not about like, oh, like you have to like sit down and do your spiritual practice during this time. It's still like active. There's this like, maybe like a let go and let God value to this Absolutely. moment. And that brings us forward to Mercury moving uh, into Sagittarius. So this is happening around the 24th. Um, now, this is where it gets a little hairy. Um, 
I think the sun, <laughs> the sun is probably okay in Sagittarius. It's got triplicity rulership and so, stuff like that. But, but Mercury, you know, it's it's in Jupiter's house, which Mercury genuinely likes to destabilize and to question and to get all the information and all these different perspectives and as a go-between. Whereas Jupiter actually, Jupiter likes bringing order. Jupiter likes saying, I already know all this. And when Mercury is there, we, it's, it's a very uncomfortable position for Mercury. But Mercury is also going to be hanging out with the South Node too. So I would say it's important to not spout off a belief system that, again, could be, have outlived its, its time. Um, I think that's, a, that's something I would be really careful of. Um, I wrote down strong opinions, dogma, propaganda, um, very important to kind of release those types of things and ask questions rather than make declarative statements. Yeah, totally. Um, go ahead. I, I love Mercury in Sagittarius personally. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite Mercury placements. Um, everything that you just said is absolutely true. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's this additional way, this is an additional angle, which is that like, and especially inside the context of national values, um, religious values, that kind of thing, like mm -hmm. institutional values. Um, like Mercury and Sagittarius is the trickster. You know what I mean? Because right. he, he's Jupiter, he's Jupiterian. He's, he's, he's talking, he's laughing, he's switching sides. He's not trying to communicate something to you in a way that you necessarily understand, right? He's just like, I'm here, now I'm here. Mm. Um, I'm running circles around this thing because I'm trying to illustrate a point. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm using a bunch of individual pieces of mercurial dot work to point at something that's too big to hold, right? right? right. Uh, yeah, I have this quote where it's like he walks backwards into the ritual room screaming, which is from the yeah. Emerald. Um, so there's, the, there's like, I, I cannot remember what the context of this is, but there was a religious practice, right, where like part of the rite is um, this reversal, this like inversus energy where mm -hmm. it's like we invite the trickster in because otherwise we acknowledge he's going to wreak havoc on us. We're going to get got if we don't invite him. So he like walks into he, like this, this one guy, right? Like backs up into the ritual room, just like howling, like doing something completely contrary to, um, to the Jupiterian order of what's supposed to be happening here in this like, you know, like spiritual ritual. Oh. And, and there's other ways of thinking about a planet in its exile where it's just doing things in a in a contrary way to maybe the the expectation right exactly so, yeah exactly right? i love that so so maybe there's a way to come to uh i don't know consensus or questioning but through <laughs> sharing your opinion or sharing your passion or, or your enthusiasm with people um now, I wanted to point out that on November 25th in, in America, this is uh, Thanksgiving or Turkey Day, as I like to call it. Um, but all of these South Node Sagittarius aspects are happening on a holiday where generally we get together with family members that we don't normally see and we spout off opinions about, <laughs> about random things. So I guess I would just be careful uh, if you're sitting around some sort of celebratory table and, you know, we can talk about whether, you know, that holiday is, uh, I don't know. I like to eat, so I've generally liked that holiday. But again, it, it's definitely has, uh, it's a mixed bag, uh, ethically, for sure. Um, 
But I think that the the core of getting together with a family or whatever you consider family, um, when you're in that space, you know, I think that just holding space for 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 other other people is important. Yeah, that's an interesting like let like letting uh, the dynamism of Mercury's ability to hold big stuff too. Um, right. I'm actually thinking about uh, K2 is like, is like cleaning your mouth, right? To make mm. sure that those like, um, those things don't necessarily come out to, you know, you don't tell grandma that like, <laughs> you actually think that her opinions about society are complete garbage at yeah, the wrong and, moment, and in a I, moment where she might not receive it. Well, and I think that, yeah, when she's got a mouthful and she's going to choke on it. <laughs> like, I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing grandma <laughs> couldn't do better. Like we want to make grandma do better. <laughs> right, right. I think it's, um, I think it's important to um, recognize that, I don't know how to explain this in a way that, that would be the, the way to explain it. But I think that when we have family members, we have a unique connection with those folks where we may be able to test out some new ways of thinking with people that hopefully will love us unconditionally. I mean, that's like the that's ideal. Nice. Like it has like a right? big, like, I don't, yeah, it has like a big container. Yeah. And, and I think that it, I've, I've tried to do this with people that I have in my family where I've been trying to maybe share a more progressive perspective and hopefully doing it in a way that instead of is accusatory is more is more calling in versus calling out i guess that would be the the way i would think about it um yeah. does that make sense yeah there is a mechanism by which opinions change that involves uh involves like oh what's the word that i'm looking for like the whatever those little like trash gathering cells mm. are like you want to be able to like kind of surround them with like your ideology um, yeah. to let them like but in a way that they're not registering necessarily as an attack so that they can like potentially like absorb some of the information not that not that active conflict when it comes to matters like of such import isn't like a completely valid um approach and i think that sometimes it does even if it doesn't work in the moment like that attack can plant a seed that right. comes to fruition later yeah and you know another thought when you were saying that is just that I think that one of the, the things that may be a, a potential pitfall is that if you have a disagreement about a belief, that it becomes lumped into, I disagree with everything about you type of thing. Does that yeah, make it sense? Compresses the, it compresses the nuance. Um, right, right. And, and maybe maybe the, the exercise is to say, we can disagree on certain things without um subjugating i don't know if that's the right word each other's humanity or the things that we do connect on and finding ways to connect in ways that you agree on and then agreeing to disagree or educating one another to be able to make a change on the things that need to change um yeah there are definitely some points that like are a bridge too far for me to be like accepting and communicative but like yeah. like when, especially when it comes to like things like yeah just i won't give examples i mean y'all like but like um, I don't really see that being what's going on here because we have that Mars Venus sextile. You know what I mean? This isn't like yeah. this isn't a, this isn't a blowout drag out with no, grandma. It's as not as far as I can tell. There's the square from the moon, right? 
to, to yeah, Mars. More, so yeah. that, that, it could, that's a little bit, but it's fast T moving. Square right? with, so that's with like, Uranus. Yeah, um, but that's moving fast, so it's like happening. And then like the only thing I could see happening with this Leo moon, which I think is a good moon for a party, you know, if you want to have a good time. As a Leo it, moon, I couldn't agree more. Right. So, so, so I think that's great for for this day. I would also say though that if you do get into philosophical conversations with family members that you don't see very often that may not share your values, it could be pretty easy to get into the point where you have a moment where you're like, the Leo-ness kicks in, you're like, well, I said it, and I'm going to stand by it type of thing. And that could lead right. to a conflict. And and with the moon, Mars kind of thing that I would say, it would be very easy to get fixed in a position and then have the pride take over and the pride kick in where you want to save face. You know what I'm saying? Where that, that is a big, right. I think that's a big Leo thing. As a Leo ascendant, losing face is very, very difficult. Um, and Sagittarius too, I think, I mean, I'm, I was satirizing this as a self-drag. Like yeah. it's like the, the impression people have of you when it enters a negative zone is like kind of unbearable, I feel like for, for a Jupiter person too. Totally. And, and one of the, I've had some Leo or some Scorpio rising people in my life that I had some real conflicts with because when we disagreed on something, what they wanted was a complete evisceration of like <laughs> you, you know, and for a Leo person, that's just not possible. You have to allow them to like go lick their wounds, consider it. And if they give an apology, they that's already a big step. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Rather than like saying, well, you have to grovel. Like that's something that a Leo person is never going to do. Like we don't grovel. We're, we're the king. So we're not going to be groveling. And I think I'm that if you understand right, if I have you, a partner with a Leo still, I'm well, like, if, interesting information. And if you understand this about us and give us some space, that can lead to a much better outcome than if you say, well, I expect you to be, to, to lower you to your knees right now right, on totally. this opinion. And I think that that could be something when you're interacting with people that this moon and this Mars could be saying to one another is, you know, you may have to not go for the entire quote unquote victory if you're dealing with someone yeah. who has something different than you. Because um, Mars and Scorpio is proud too, you know, so it's, exactly. like two, it's like two proud people who are like not, you're not getting anywhere. Exactly. And and I, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong if you give me some space to like think <laughs> yeah. about it, to think about right. it. I have like to like relax my energy it. pattern, right. which was be, which was being held in the like, I am fucking right. Right. Like, exactly. Configuration. exactly. Like, it has to, like the armor has to fall and like clatter to the floor. And then I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was and, wrong. <laughs> and with all like, like I have a Taurus moon. So the Taurus says, I have to feel this in my body first. Just let me feel this first. Mm -hmm. And like, oh yeah, you're right. And then, right, like, like the escalation decrease. And well, like and, and, and the Virgo planets, I have Virgo planets. So it's like, I've already beat myself to death with some of this stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but again, again, for, for the Leo folks out there, it, it is important to sometimes back off a position. You know, just because you said it doesn't mean that it's right. Uh, you should, you don't have to look around and be like, well, who are you? Who are you? you can't possibly be talking to me. That's a look that Leo, you know, placements have is, well, you possibly can't be talking to me. I, I think that if you want a, some change, the way to deal with a Leo moon here is to do it with a certain level of dignity. 
and, and allow for a certain right, level of like dignity. Afford dignity. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that you can't get to the core of an issue. It just, it, there has to be some space for that. And I think if you go into your holiday season with a little bit of space and understanding for maybe even saving some face, that I think you will have a better result than if you go for the entire, I don't know, touchdown, <laughs> like of, of, of public the opinion, jugular. the jugular. There you go. Much better for, for Mars and Scorpio here. Okay. So that's, that's Thanksgiving in America. Um, always an interesting holiday. Thanksgiving for me with my family was always weird because I'm sort of a, I don't know, an outlier in my family. I didn't always agree with right. everything that they said. And, and I was opinionated. So I would challenge people about their views and especially if they were saying things that I didn't think was very nice or progressive. And, um, but I also had to have empathy, empathy too. And yeah. realize that if I, if I really attacked people, they would just shut down. They wouldn't be receptive to me anymore. So again, right. that's how you, you know that you are opening people up by acknowledging their humanity within that conflict. Yeah. That's a tough one, the relationship to yeah, aggression. I'll tell especially you. when it when it comes to things that are truly make you angry it's like yeah. how much of that absolutely that's a topic i'm puzzling through that one right now actually just in life well i'll tell you that leads us to a mercury kazemi so okay. I, here's what i'm thinking happens you have a, a an interesting conversation with uncle uncle ralph at the dinner table and maybe he goes back hopefully uh and he starts to think about what you said and uh, has a Mercury Kazemi moment about maybe a new belief system, or you do. Maybe you have a nice conversation with one of your relatives that, that totally changes your perspective on something. And then a few days later, you're considering this and you have a, a Mercury Kazemi moment where there is some kind of connection and, and awareness of a, of a new belief, potentially a new enthusiasm. Maybe you have a good conversation with relatives that where you get inspired to do something or with friends, you know, if you have friends giving or whatever it is, uh, you know, that could be something that you experience as well. What do you think about this Kazemi moment here on the 28th of November? Mind blown. Definitely. is like coming, is coming to mind as like a key, as like a key phrase. Yeah. Um, just to explain, I mean, I saw somebody saying that we had some beginners in the audience. Do you want to explain? I can explain what a Kazemi yeah, is. Yeah, go ahead. Quick. Go ahead. Um, basically, as, this, as a planet begins to approach the sun, it's all about visibility in the way that we understand like what's happening to a planet, right? So as a planet begins to approach the sun, it gets less and less visible. It gets blown out, right? Because the sun is bright as fuck. And mm -hmm. then there's a moment in the middle where, so it's seen as decreasing in strength, right? As that happens, or ability to emit. Um, and then there's a point right. in the middle where the planet enters Kazemi, I think means literally like in uh, is like the heart of the sun, right? So mm -hmm. we kind of can see it as um, the the solar god, right, presses his seal upon the planet, like imprints it with right. his dignity and glory, and it's kind of like a communion between the two of them, where it's like you can almost think about Mercury as like entering the chamber of the sun, and they have their like sacred congress that like none of us can perceive, um, yeah. and and like the sun exchanges his wisdom for Mercury's experience, having gone around an entire synodic cycle. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a rebirth in the furnace, right? Yeah, you exactly. Know? It's like those winter coming out, right? There's definitely, yeah. there's definitely like, a, oh, now you're all the way in and you get that full on purification moment. Right. God, that's such a theme for this month. Yeah, it's so great. 
And, and you know, so the, so the weakness of Mercury is going, hot. yeah, it's going to get steamy. Um, but I think that this may be uh, an in, enlightened moment of an awareness of purpose, an awareness of, Ooh, nice. right? An awareness of uh, what is going to light the flames of passion for you to move towards a specific goal. One of the things that they talked about with this Deccan of uh, Sagittarius was because it's associated with a diamond of plagues, that you need to have your own specific goal so that you don't become a host for like the viral goals of someone else, right? So it's easy to become a, a vehicle for someone else's vision if you don't have a clarity about your own. So right. this may be the clarity moment of what your your vision is, right? And how you can actually start to take action and use your skills, aka Mercury, to to enact that in the in the in the real world or the physical world or whatever it is. Okay. Um, I just want to yeah, really quick ahead. just touch on that idea again of like Mercury in Sagittarius describing the indescribable. Um, mm. Like when you're thinking, when you're trying to like think about a black hole, right? Like you need you need Mercury in Sagittarius for that job. Mercury and Gemini can't quite like cover it, right? Because it's there's no like discrete concept that we can really quite actually put our finger on. You need someone who. Right who isn't necessarily, who, who that's not their thing. Their thing is the big thing. Um, and I feel like when it comes to Kazemi, right, that that ability gets turned to its highest purpose. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, and, and as we were saying before, this superior conjunction of, of Mercury and the Sun potentially could be, you know, Hermes visiting Olympus, getting a divine download, you know, really getting that like okay, that's my purpose. That's my, that's from my higher self or however you want to, to view yeah. it. Okay. So Mercury rule risings, like look out for that. Definitely okay. try and align yourself with Mercury in that moment. Um, and then in the 29th, and we're, we're almost done here, folks. You all are super, super troopers. So thank you for hanging with us today. We have awesome. a Mars, uh, Mars Neptune trine um, that we're seeing here. I think you're going to set the record for longest live stream, uh, Hawk. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm here like for this. it. So there's our, our trine between Mars and, and Neptune. Um, just some, there's some crusader action with this, with this uh, combination. Um, you know, there is a uh, potential also release, though. The, the, the third decade of Pisces has to do with potentially sacrifice for a, a greater cause, like a crusade or a martyrdom. And I'm thinking like maybe Mars is saying, okay, it's time to let go of that martyr consciousness or like the, let go of some old habits that are keeping you in bondage to this, I don't know, this vision or something like that, severing yeah, old really illusions. Like I really like that as a crusade, as like a moral crusade. Right. Like some kind of action that you're taking that is more divinely inspired rather than materially inspired, I think could be another thing too. Uh, and then on the 30th, I've, this was the point in my notes, my five pages of notes where I was like, oh, okay. I wrote sextile o'clock because there's, <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, it's sexy time. <laughs> so I was getting a little punchy. The, the, the 30th is sexy time here, everybody. Um, <laughs> we've got. Thank God. After all that, honestly, thank God. <laughs> right? So maybe that's what I think people should just do. Go have some sexy times after all this. <laughs> so there's a sextile between, um, Mercury and Saturn, 
that day at eight degrees. And then Venus sextiles Neptune uh, at 20 degrees of Capricorn and Pisces. And then the sun is sextiling Saturn on that day as well from Sagittarius to Capricorn. And sextiles generally are beneficial, like, like having some kind of help. Um, they're of the nature of Venus, so maybe receiving some good fortune. Um, and this is setting up ne Neptune stationing direct on the 1st of December. With all these sextiles involving Saturn, it could be a fun time to play with restraints. <laughs> Whoa, there you go. Handcuffs. Handcuffs. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. So that's the point in the show that we're at here. Um, the, the, the sexy time of the, the final days of November. You heard it here first on the Spencer Michelle Astrology Podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, we did it. We got through all the aspects of the month. Three hours later. Right. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have anything else on for today. <laughs> so, um, thank just you guys to... in the chat. You guys have been so fun and active and engaging. Gabe, Abraham. Yeah, Beth, this is uh, a great Kira chat for sure. Really Zachary. awesome whole new whole new set of folks in here that I'm, I'm super excited to see who are pretty big like heavyweights astrological heavyweights you know i'm really uh i've really learned a lot from people in the chat today so thank you for stopping by um it's an all-star it's an all-star cast in the chat let's tie a bow on this i i like to do an I Ching reading at the end of each uh live stream to give oh, sort yeah. of the essence of the either the the new or the full moon or the, the, the lunations uh, or the aspects of the month. So I got the hexagram number 47, which roughly translates to exhaustion, oppression, being restricted, sound familiar, Mars-Saturn, um, hardship, adversity, uh, dried up, impasse. And it's moving to number 59, which, which roughly translates to dispersion, disillusion, ridding of egotism, bringing people mm -hmm. together through a common cause. Um, melting the ice and eliminating obstacles within the self. And there's two changing lines here. Line number four says, he comes slowly opp oppressed in a golden carriage. Humiliation, but it will not end. So this to me talks nice. about, yeah, I think this is really about, um, we're being held back on some level from, the, some of the, the interpretations said you were being held back by doing the right thing due to our social circumstances and connections. So it's like, like they gave an example in the book I like by J Jack M. Balkin, uh, which is a, an I Ching interpretation, really enjoy that book. Talks about like, potentially, like, let's say that you uh, are affluent and you know that you need to contribute to the uh, less fortunate, but you're getting social pressure from your like social elite rich friends like that stop you from doing it or something like that does that make sense that was one example that that he gave in this book like where yeah. you know there's the right thing to do but you have to like you know risk disapproval Ooh. from your peers and to be able I wanna, to do. i want to connect that back to the comment yeah. about to the thought about don't let go of things Mo motivate like purify your intention for letting things go for ascending for like doing all that like don't yeah. let it be out of that self yeah, it, you know it, I mean? it works with the South Node. Narratives. Yeah, it works with the South Node and all these planets saying, hey, release that old belief. You don't have to follow that old narrative anymore. Or yeah, like that's not yours. This. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't belong to you. Actually, some, some, what's that quote where it's just like uh, tradition is just peer pressure from dead guys? Yeah, totally. And this is what we're going through as a society right now on a, on a macrocosmic level, too, is 
there's old narratives that people are trying to to stick to that it's okay to release it. We we have a whole new set of challenges that we need to rise up and meet that are based on now, not the past, you know. So yeah, totally. um and then there's another line. It says oppressed by creeping vines. This is line number 6. He is anxious and perplexed. He says to himself, if I move, I will greatly regret it. Yet if he repents, remember the litai, and sets out, good fortune comes. So again, break free of the past view, uh, have generosity and, and future hope. You know, like you may think that you're being oppressed by something that just doesn't, that, that's a ghost. You're being oppressed by a ghost, not something that's real anymore, right? That, like mm. ch- difference and change is not a threat. I think that's what the, the theme that I was thinking about with this. Um, and we may have yeah. memories of past trauma, right? That exactly. We need to... That's what I was exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Like being oppressed by a ghost, it's like it's like, you know, ghosts leave marks like when they weren't ghosts. Like they have like the power to do that to you. So yeah. it's like, yeah, that purification vibe is coming back again. Like you could see almost repentance and purification as being like kind of like two similar things. When it's like repentance is like the submission to purification, right? Yeah, um, totally. Even, even if it's not about like, you know, like obviously no one did anything that is worth like, like you didn't like earn, you don't have to apologize for being traumatized, right? But like, um, but don't like, hang on to it, right? Like that, right, that exactly. could be, that it, could yeah. be the ghost too of Scorpio but, but 3, like, right? Yeah, totally. We could be oppressed by our old hurts and pains, not not our just our old desires. It could be the old stories that, that are limiting beliefs, right? Well, we talk about crushing that glass ceiling that that Aquarius, maybe Saturn, maybe bringing us to saying, okay, those limiting beliefs need to be returned to the earth and castrated so that we yeah, can Yeah, like there forward. are definitely some among them. Right. I, I do this practice every every night where I use an iron, a piece of iron to like scrape my body. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, and this is actually an Aiden Wachter. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name, right? I think Aiden Wachter gave the blacksmith, Corey Dickerson, who's Borealis Ironworks, this idea of like what to do with this object. Um, it's just to cite my source. Um, so it's like, just like a scraping practice. And I ask like anything that is ready to fall away, let it fall away freely. So there's no mm. pressure to be like, oh, I'm, I'm letting go of like my core traumas. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Because, because I have to let that go. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like some things like it, it, it in their time, it's all has to happen in their time. No pressure from dead guys, no pressure from the self to be some kind of like transcended healed being. So I'm just asking like anything that is ready to fucking go um, yeah. let it fall off like just dead skin like the carapaces of, of a bug right just like it. let it let it fall off yeah that that reminds me of i i do planetary i do like prayers orphic hymns to the planets each day and as part of my morning rituals and whenever i get to a, a saturn or a mars day part of the what i ask for is to be you know released from old form as gently as possible you know yes just, that's such a that, you know? yes that was a hard i i had learned that that prayer over yeah. time like that that was like the gentleness in the process is such an important there you go because you can't avoid it like mars isn't going to help you avoid mars processes that's right just don't resist it remember suffering comes from the resistance of that change uh rather than you know dealing with the pain is is human but i really do think suffering can be a choice because we aren't accepting where we're at in life. It doesn't mean that you accept abuse. Like there's there's times when you have to take action 
to remove yourself from abusive situations. And that's your, your, I don't know, dharma or whatever it would be. Um, but when you come into alignment with what nature is bringing you and asking of you, that's when it, 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 I think it's starting to work. I'm seeing some really great comments in the section in the chat box today, and I'm going to wrap this up. Abraham was asking about what translations I use of the I Ching. I actually use multiple translations. Um, the, my favorite is The Laws of Change by Jack M. Balkin, who is a Yale law professor. Um, very interesting interpretations in, in his book. Um, I also like Hillary Barrett's in, uh, book as well. I have an app on my phone called the I Ching app where I can download um, multiple translation books, and I actually read about five or six different translations for every reading that I do to kind of distill it down into an essence. But the quotes I used today was from Jack Balkin's book. So check that one out. Really great. Um, highly recommend it. I Ching's been great for teaching me how to respond to the changes of life, you know, and just what is required of me, even if it's rest or even if it's withdrawing and not fighting something that's <laughs> it's been a great great teacher for for me and i have a lot of appreciation for it um so hawk i think we, <laughs> i think we're at the three and a half hour mark I we've think done it we did it um this is amazing this is an amazing marathon uh tanya is asking if we can see your cat can you put uh lucian on screen here for a minute here there's our beautiful, beautiful kitty, little tuxedo Maybe, cat. Here he is. Ooh, He's been incredibly, little... incredibly terrible for three oh, hours. Oh, look at him! Look at his little face. I love him. He got up on my kitchen counter for the first time ever, just being like, oh, just no. being like, you will pay attention to me. <laughs> right. What a little cutie. Well, I thank everybody for being here in the the chat and for sticking with us today. Um, visit Hawk at studentofthestars.wordpress.com. Is that correct? Did yeah, I get it? Mostly, okay. mostly you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm uh, Hawkstrology. Hawkstrology.com on Twitter. Hawkstrology. And my link tree will be linked there so you can find my Patreon. Um, yeah. My booking links for consultations. I'm a consulting astrologer booking for Perfect. November. There you um, go. So, yeah, uh, you so if you need help with this challenging energy, reach out to Hawk for a reading. And um, yeah, and, and come sign up for the Decans of, of Scorpio webinar, folks. I, I've really been excited about this series that I'm doing. And we go into super depth about the, the signs and the myths and the diamonds and the tarot. I, I call it integrative divination. So we look at it through multiple lenses and try to distill it down to an essence. Uh, and you can, cool. again, use the, the code SCORPIO20 for 20% off until can, the 1st of November. Us? Tell us when that is again. That's going to be the 13th of November at 1 p.m. Eastern November Time, 13th. Okay. Saturday. Mark it on your calendars. Mark I'm it going down. To. Mark it down. Um, so, yeah, and, and make sure you hit that like button. That's a great way to support the channel here. And if you'd like to make a material donation to the work I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. There's a link in the description of this video. Thank you so much, so much for being here. definitely deserves a coffee after this <laughs> marathon session. I'm going to go buy so me great. one as well. Um, we're going to be back. I'll be back next Friday at noon to talk about the new moon. I'm going to have my my good friend C.V. Henriette, who is another Nightlight Astrology alum, coming to join me to talk about that. So, so make sure you tune in for that. And um, yeah, thanks again, Hawk. And thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, I think that's what we've got for you today. Everybody, please hang in there and take care. Bye. Peace.